I think what a joy it is to be alive, and I wonder if I'll ever leap inward to the root of this flesh and know myself as once I was. The root is there. Whether any act of mine can find it, that remains tangled in the future. But all things a man can do are mine. Any act of mine, I do it. The Gola Speaks, Aliyah's Commentary. Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune Messiah. My name is Derek. And my name's Mike. With each chapter, we open up a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. Uh, as always. And what kind of wine are we drinking today, Mike? So I got this one especially. It's called Golden. Thematically appropriate. Because you keep referring to like this golden path. This glorious I, golden path. I didn't know when we were going to talk about it, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy this now. We're going to leave it in the fridge. I know you're going to bring it out at a good time. Mm-hmm. And you brought it out today, Derek. Boom. Today we got, we got a glimpse. We got a little sliver of the golden path that's going to sneak its way into into the chapter oh and so, still you know nothing it's gonna be like my new worm there i gotta figure out what this is yeah pretty much oh and it's gonna taunt you all next book too oh I think, really i think well next book you finally get it it's mentioned okay, okay and then then it would keep going and we keep going sure sure spiraling ever onward but it's uh what's it actually called it's uh it's called golden just golden yeah Yeah, it's a 2019 chardonnay from monterey county and it evokes uh memoirs of meringue pie and pure joy memories memoirs memories words it's like memoirs are written (laughs) derek we're only two minutes in i'm already fucking it up Oh, I love it. What is it? Memories of... <laughs> memories of meringue pie and pure I'm just joy. Like, a memoir of meringue pie <laughs> and joy. God. That was going to be Frank's next book. And then, you know, life got him. <laughs> Came to an end. I hate it. All right. Well, let's leave the wine aside. All right. Let's, uh, before we hit the chapter, we got a cool quote. And this one, all from Hate's perspective. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And I... I think it's cool that it's put here. He doesn't really take center stage in this chapter or address this issue in this chapter, no. right? But right here, he's telling us, like, he knows Duncan is in there somewhere. Duncan is obviously the root. Mm-hmm. He's got a strong sense of it. And he's just like, I love this idea of, like, whatever act of mind can find it, that remains in the future. Like, uh-huh. if it's going to happen, it's going to be down there. Right, right, right. I don't need to concern myself with it. But... He does seem like that's he's on a mission for it. That's all he really wants, ultimately. It's it's the biggest desire. Yeah. Yeah. Buried in there. So uh, what do you get that he's telling this to Aaliyah? Or at least Aaliyah or is Ali- the one she's like, writing this down. Right. Or, yeah, having this sort of oh, uh, man. dialogue. I just like the idea of Aaliyah like, writing things down. Irulan, like, excuse me? Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, do you think Irulan makes it out? Oh! <gasps> Does she, she dare? She's part of the conspiracy, I kind Mike. of hope she does. All the conspirators <laughs> have, like, uh, a red flag on I them right Edric now. I want Edric to make it out. Okay. <laughs> I want Irulan to make it out. Okay. I want Sightail to either make it out or have a glorious death. Fair enough. Fair and enough. And honestly, guys, Helmahayam, she's been getting on my nerves of late a little bit. <gasps> You're like, she's had her time? Yeah. <laughs> she's already had her great moments? She, you know what? Yeah. You, ha- you, had your, you had your moment of uh, fame in the first book. I'm done. Wow. I'm out. Okay. So of them all, that's that's the one you're axing. 
Edric. I'm emotionally committed to Edric. Don't you dare open your mouth. Yeah, I'm, you're bagging Irulan and Edric. You're killing Sidale. <laughs> like the two. Yeah, yeah. That makes no sense. But whatever. Mike said it. It's it's on it's on the record. Well, let's leave these crazy hypotheses behind, Mike. Let's get to this chapter because okay. uh, Paul is high as fuck. It's the it's noon after all. Yeah. <laughs> it's a business day. Like, I love that. I don't know what it means to be the emperor, but clearly you don't have to <laughs> do anything do in the Tyler Manor. Want. Yeah. And uh, he gets this new prophecy for us to ponder. We're going to have this mm. lost moon. It's going to come hearkening him. And right when it starts, I love this, the screaming odor of spice. That immediately felt like a red flag to me. Oh, red flag in what way? Just, I mean, like whenever you use an adjective, especially with Frank, the mm. adjectives he used really sort of paint the... Um, I guess emotional response he wants to get. Like, I mean, he could use any word for like a strong odor. I was gonna say he personifies it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I it, like, just like it sounds like, oh god. Yeah, it's like, gonna, what is happening? It's giving you an overwhelming presence. Like you know, right from the start, the only thing that you can focus on is this spice trance because mm-hmm. that's gonna be what it insinuates for us. And Paul is inward in the oracular trance. He sees this moon it becomes an elongated sphere. It rolls. It twists. And then there's a hissing sound. And uh, they say the terrible hissing of a star being quenched in an infinite sea. Oh. Which you got to bring up the sea, obviously. Sure. I get a very, you know, hot iron, you know, plunging, tempering kind of like a blacksmith. When I think of hiss, I actually think of worms now. Well, yeah, I'm just going to touch on that. You have to. That was the sound we built up so many times. I, I like that parallel, too, of like... Both mean just like terrible destruction to me. Yeah, the hissing yeah. of the worm and this kind sure. of hissing. Yeah. Uh, and then this moon is gone. He knows it had not set. It's just gone. No moon. Now, do you think he's seeing? Remember that third moon that was here? Is this what happened to that one? I do prophets <laughs> keep showing up and destroying these moons? There used to be seven moons and like we just keep going down every yeah, year. There's seven messiahs. <laughs> yeah. Paul said he's out to get this one. And uh, he jerks upright. This is where we start. This is where we know it's day. It's noon, basically. Light Mm. is filtering in. But he's not quite out of this trance yet. He's sort of one foot in, one foot out. And he can see the sunlight coming through the grill work. He's sort of, yeah, looking at, like, his room and everything. But he's Mm -hmm. also, like, uh, postulating on, like, this possible future and vision. Yeah, well, it also just mentions that he can see the inner blackness. So giving you that, like, I I thought, like, a visual difference. Yeah, yeah. Like, he could see the sun, but then he could turn and just be in this abyss at the same time. Do you think that's sort of indicative of... Just like there being like a couple like slight rays and hopes of like yeah, ways yeah, he can yeah. get out. Yeah, I think it's indicative of like where he is on the path. He's like, he's got the light okay. I'm like, I'm gonna get out of this. I can do it. Oh. But it's like he's also accepted his own death at this point in a lot of ways. I mean you I, know I was trying to like I was trying to rationalize that because this chapter definitely feels like he's come to the conclusion that he needs to get out mm-hmm. no matter what. Because his position here, I think, is going to uh, cause events to continue on towards this spiral and this vanishing moon. Yeah. But I don't know if it means his death or not, because he sort of talks about a death. Yeah. But he doesn't necessarily say his own death. Fair. And I think even if he did say his own death, you could probably wax poetic and be like, what does that mean? Is it the death yeah, of the emperor? We talked about the, the death of the prophet? We talked or... about the birth of Muad'Dib. And Ex- like, exactly. we think that that happens on Kaladin in that tent. Not necessarily like... Or no, sorry, uh, on Arrakis in, in that, that tent. tent. Yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily in Kaladin. 
<laughs> but like, what, what does that mean for like the death of Muad'Dib? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could you could get you could take that in a lot yeah. of different ways. Yeah, and Frank is known for that. He's he's left himself some wiggle room. <laughs> uh, but with it being noon, uh, the other bit that Paul is able to touch on beyond the visual, seeing the light in the darkness, there is a garden on a rooftop across from wherever this is in this balcony, and mm-hmm. the floral odors are kind of hitting him. It's, it's not enough. He just registers it. Sure. Uh, and then actually, I kind of want to stop here to say that we are inside of the keep for this whole chapter. Sure. So remember how Farouk said, like, you could you could live a nomadic life inside of right, there? Right, right, right. Or that, that's like the legend. Allegedly. Well, but I think it might be real. <laughs> it's real enough. We're, I have a, one of the dimensions he mentions of Aaliyah's fane. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll talk about how big that building actually is and stuff. So, like... I don't really know where the hell we are or like <laughs> if when he sees the outside, like, is it just refractions of light off of stuff? Like I get it's, no sense of the scale and so, the depth we are into it's it. It's sort of like when you say like, Oh, we're going to Disney. You think Disney is like this one little place, but it's really just like miles and miles. miles yeah. Of like where in Disney yeah. one's a, like a, a, a giant zoo. Uh, <laughs> Pretty I, much. I, yeah. I, I, we did the camping in Disney. You know, they're just peacocks loose in the, uh, Oh do, yeah. They're just walking camping. around. Oh, they're so loud in the morning. <laughs> They, they can climb trees, Mike. Yeah. Like, how'd you get up there? It's amazing. Um, but this little bit too that I got here in Frank is uh Frank, he doesn't have windows in this chapter, Mike. We only have grill works. Oh why I think that's indicative of something. That right ra- I was like, why? You never we have famous dune windows. These are an established uh paradigm, and he's everywhere at work. It's a grill work, it's a grill work. Oh, so I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. It's Pop. interesting. That feels uh, almost feels like very Harkonnen in a way. Like I think when I think like think grills, like I think great? like great. Yeah, something industrialized. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even I, though like I don't think of Paul as like the epitome of industrialization. It's more just like you know uh, political power. Oh yeah. What material? I guess you know what. Now that you say that, like the the metal kind of makes sense. I was always in my mind. I picture just like sandstone. In any sense of work, working that Paul's in, that right, kind sure. of like texture, like even the girl work, I imagine is like stone cut kind of right, deal. Right, but right. Yeah, it could very well be metal too. Doesn't he say that? No, he says what it's made out of. Uh, he says what the bridge is made out of. Ah, uh, because okay. looking looking through this grill work, we see the emperor's own Surat, Mike. Okay, he's okay. got a bridge. Uh, it's a bridge of crystal stabilized gold and platinum, and it has fire jewels from the planet Sedan. Oh, a nice bridge. New, is that a new planet? Oh, yeah, definitely a new planet. Never going to go back to that one. Nope. Love it. Definitely where you get fire jewels from. Sure. Do you know about metal stabilization? Uh, No. This is a thing we do. Uh, We do it for several reasons. Okay. Uh, Among them, so like with some of the noble metals, we'll do it. So like obviously gold, platinum, Mm -hmm. all this we can do it for. And you're just rearranging the molecules to build in a more geometrical, stable fashion. Basically give it like a crystalline structure in a way. Exactly. Make it actually uh durable uh, somewhat you know yeah you're right on so what it does it's less prone to oxidation and corrosion oh basically oh, that like, would make sense yeah, yeah nothing could come in and take an atom out because it's so condensed and like mm-hmm. in this better structure uh i think the easiest and most familiar might be for us is all the many forms you can stack carbon in and they got like different tri- attributes to them like a buckyball you can put atoms inside of this carbon now like that's what we're getting out of this. Um, they also do it with like heavy metals. You can make uh, specifically there's these versions of lead and stuff that they can make it uh, less soluble 
to other materials oh. so that it can't be leached out of like uh if you're gonna have this you're just gonna you know drop this uh, waste material kind of around you don't want water to be leaching into it and stuff like that they had this process they can put through where they stabilize these metals and like the reduction point like if you do it it's like 90 percent less absorption for a lot of the metals and stuff that is really crazy like, that's cool so you go Paul's obviously going to take it further. Right, right, totally right. crystalline gold and platinum. I don't know what it looks like, how it is different. I mean, it probably looks the these same. Were, these were all the like industrial applications sure. where like, I don't think we build with them any often, but I think it would honestly look a lot of the same. Oh, I, I hope it would have a better sheen to it. Uh, just to say it's a little shinier. Just a little gloss. A little shinier. A little gloss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I uh, could, oh man, I, I could be wrong on this. I'll probably like fact check this and uh, maybe uh, edit this out later. okay that's a good caveat (laughs) but i'm pretty sure that uh most like bars of metals are considered single molecules okay because they share all of their electrons and that's why metal is very conductive you're definitely gonna have to look that one up that one might be that's like something i would say mike and just commit to (laughs) remind me (laughs) (laughs) derek i told you what we can do with (laughs) this vice we can make favor All right, so this bridge, it leads to uh, the galleries of the quote-unquote inner city. And this is what uh, alerts me to the scale of what we're talking about. But like, wait, oh, we are in this keep. Plural of cities, Mike. Inside of a single keep. Plural. It's Disney, baby. It is. Fairyland. Uh, And this goes over a pool and a fountain, which just gets wilder and wilder. We're like, whatever we're looking at over here. Uh, and the narration is going to tell us what Paul thinks his vision means now, this falling moon. Sure. And it's the vision suggested a monstrous loss of individual security. Perhaps he'd seen his civilization fall, toppled by his own pretensions. Ooh. Okay. I, mean, I think we're already sort of seeing that, aren't we? Uh, yeah. I, I think we needed... Uh, I don't know. I found the moon very a weird symbol for Frank to use. Mm-hmm. And he, even with him telling me, like, this is what it means, I don't quite pull that from what Paul saw. I think it's a very weird reaction Paul almost has to just watching the moon fall. Well, it, it doesn't fall, does it? Oh, yeah, a fallen moon. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it looked basically, I think he's seeing a sped up version of, like, celestial events. Because he does say, like, I know it didn't set. Right, right, right. Which, I mean, our moon is even falling. Everything in space is technically falling. So I think he sees it go recede, goes behind, and then it's just gone. Do you think this is a literal uh, vision here? Or is this, like, more of a metaphorical, like, vision he's having with his, like, auricular spice... Spice high. Do you just mean that every other time we've seen him look into the future, it is always literal? It does seem to be literal, but, like... I don't know if the waters are muddy. Maybe things aren't super clear. That, that I think it, that's got to be Because, like, with the moon, I would assume, like, I can only assume it's the moon. No, deep no. Moon. I think you just talked, because he says he, he had to take a massive amount of spice. This is the next thing that comes up. Uh, this massive dose just to get past the obscured time because it was so muddied. Mm. Maybe it's because it's so muddied you can't get the clear image. Sure. And you just get, like, this little bits that your mind has to, like, extrapolate and run with almost in a dream sense. 
Yeah. Which is why it takes on these characteristics. I, I think that's got to be it. So then it's either the moon actually does disappear or is like blown up or something gets shot out into space. Who well, it's like, yeah, knows? He definitely but. sees it disappear and he's just got to be like, what is, what did I feel when I saw this? Right. Like, yeah, what is this? That or like maybe the moon represents himself in some facet or like something or someone around him. Because I thought like maybe the moon could be the Muad'Dib moon. Yeah. You know, like a part of his namesake. Definitely. Maybe that represents him. But it's the go-to, but then he's going to tell us like, uh, the Fremen call themselves children of the moon. And that I think is going to tie up more like all of Fremen sure. into there. Have oh. we ever heard that before? You, you know, it's not, <laughs> no. a, it's not actually a thing. It only is in this chapter, okay. but no, I even went into, I was like, children of Dune, do we bring this back? No, no, we don't. No. Like, uh, it, you know what I really think? Hmm. I think he did that. He wrote children of the moon. Sure. And then he later on, he's like, Children of Dune. Damn it! Bev, I messed up! I'm like, but it already went to print. He couldn't like, go back. Get it! Yeah. Shoot that messenger! And I think I just gave him the inspiration for the next title of the next book. <laughs> <laughs> the Fremen are Dune, Moon, uh, like it's all okay, here, man. Okay. Uh, but regardless, Paul tells us the vision has shown him what he knew from the beginning. Uh to buy an end, he has to discredit himself. So, okay. Uh, all right. Oh, he said buy an end. This is talking about, like, uh, the price of that uh, possible future we were talking about. Always got to pay the taqua, Mike. The ta- What's the price of freedom? Oh, damn. That's, the, that's it. Yeah, that's what Paul's, is. like, weighing out every time. And, like, he sees these avenues, but he's not willing to pay this price or that price. He's decided on this one path. And it's very similar to where we were going through Dune, Mm -hmm. where, like, he knew what he could pay a few times. And each time he's like, I just don't want to end up at the Jihad. And I'm going to keep trying to bounce this off. But where'd we end up? I, I've been, I do feel so bad for Paul in this point because everyone around him, they're scheming, they're plotting, like, oh, we're going to, like, we're going to control the Muad'Dib. We're going to dethrone the Muad'Dib. We're Mm going to... You know, whatever it means, maybe, maybe we'll kill the Muad'Dib. Who knows? I mean, there's a portion of people that want to. For I sure. know, exactly. Yeah. But, like, that is all just, like, child's play compared to what's going on in the Cesar right now. Like, children, I can't. <laughs> like, it, it is a shame. That yeah. is thinking. Yeah. That, and, we, and that was the same paradox we had last time. Yeah. Was like, he never fully gets to tell you all, like, no, you don't know what I'm dealing with. And it would take me so long to explain this vision I've seen. Right. Like, there's this one possibility. I think that's why I really, like, hate with Paul in this case. Because, like, hate doesn't really question things all that much when it comes to, like, how metaphysical and weird what mm-hmm. Paul's talking about is. He just sort of absorbs it thinks about it, and then, like, I mean, he's a, he's a computer. He's a mentat. He's just giving his best estimate based off of what he's given, but he never questions how absurd it sounds. No, he takes he takes everything at its face value. You think that right? that's the Zensuni in him as well? Yeah, yeah. The Zensuni is all about, uh, they tell us in the beginning, it's all about just truth and, like, blunt honesty. Like, mm-hmm. you don't hide anything from a Zensuni. A Zensuni's not going to hide anything from you. And that's what's so, like, uh, the mind fuck when you talk to them. Yeah, They're yeah. just like, no, and it breaks people. Uh, that's how he treated with Aaliyah, where, like, all he did was just everything she threw at him that was a waste of time, he turned around and got right to the point. Mm-hmm. And he's going to do that again with Paul. Uh, just like, Paul's going crazy, and he's like, let's just talk about reality. Let's just <laughs> stay grounded, perhaps. Glass of water in his hands. Here, did it take this, Paul? Yeah, yeah. Just put a little Alka-Seltzer in there. <laughs> um, but with Paul knowing 
what this is going to cost. We get uh, disengage is going to chime in, of course. Because oh. it's telling him, hey, that's one way out, man. Come on. Uh, and now that garden smell, the same one that he registered on that rooftop across, um, now reminds him of Cheney. Oh. And he, he kind of longs for her comfort. He wonders what she would say if he told her he had a particular death in mind. Now, this is where I touched on, like, yeah, yeah Paul kind of seeing it out. But you're you're thinking maybe there's uh, multiple meanings to death uh, couched in there. Is this his death? Is this her death? Is sure. this the death of, like, the Empire? What are we talking about here? I mean, and I, I get to his because we touch on uh, what the, any noble would do, right? Is that the line that's right in that um, paragraph? What, knowing it to be inevitable? No, how like a noble would uh, choose their death if they could. Wait, wait, wait. Why not choose an aristocrat's death? Yeah. Uh, Ending life on a secret floor, squandering any years that might have been. To to die before coming to an end of willpower is an aristocrat's death. And it's like, I do. I, I, I like that. It's very stupid saying, obviously. Yeah. But it's just like going on my own terms, blaze of glory. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are people that have been at such a high station, they cannot even fathom ever being a normal person that they would rather like spend it all in this one last right. moment than mm-hmm. just live a life. And it's just like, God damn it, you bastards. Come on. I'm going to drag you down here one day. But like, <laughs> that's all Cheney ever wanted was just to be happy. Yeah. And you could have done that, Paul. Leto could have gone off to two pile, left that Paul around. Yeah, yeah. So many options. Um, my question for you on his death, though, Ooh. yeah, uh, is he referring to this moon prophecy, or is it just as an oracle in general of him choosing like a particular death? Oh, I don't know. Like, wait, does that it, mean that there's the, a ton of options that he's seeing? Like, which well, one? <laughs> it has to be right. He's an oracle. Window shopping. He's got to be death. able to have always seen your own death a little bit. Like even in Dune, how many times did he see an avenue where? Oh no, I just end up in a body. You know, a body yeah. on the ground with always, a shadowy figure. Always like a third person view of like himself dying on the ground. So now, are we only? Is this thought prompted by that moon prophecy, or is this just being a general or uh, an oracle in general? Because on if it's the oracle in general, I feel like Cheney would be like, "Oh, Paul." I mean, I always want to play it safe with column A, column B, but like. Yeah. He is high as hell right now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's hard to say. I think that leans towards moon for you. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to go with moon. You have to pile it up. All right, well, we'll land on the moon, and then let's let's get the fuck out of this room. We need some air. So sure. Paul's going to, he's going to, he got up. He didn't go anywhere yet. <laughs> now he stands and he goes, remember, he's yeah. really, really high. <laughs> How much spice would you have to ingest to get through that, like, tarot muddied future i don't know i mean like he took a gulp last time so we're talking water of life <laughs> yeah like, i think a good cup uh-huh. just shotguns just a, uh... no like a yeah yeah like a pint <laughs> sure like, yeah like yeah downs it uh Polly. now he's gonna stand up and go out on this balcony and he thinks of Aaliyah's description of uh of a young woman here right and it all fits that hateful pattern is like him. Ooh. He's in like a really bitter mood yeah. as he goes around here. And he's got this great thought of uh you do not take from this universe. It grants what it will. Ooh. Yeah, that reminded me of his uh remember going back to that tense? No, it's after the tense scene, but in the original, the I am the giver and the taker. I sure. can't help but do one or the other. Oh, right, right, right. After he like awakens from his coma. Yep. 
And that puts him like above all of humanity. But I love how this puts the universe as this force, even beyond even the that. giver and the taker. Yeah. It grants what it, you can't even take from the universe. You just yeah. get what it was willing to grant. That's, I mean, that is pretty cool. I mean, like we, I mean, you and I have always known that Paul does have his own limitations. He's only human. Everything is fine. Everyone sort of deifies Paul. Mm -hmm. It's like you are God, but. I, I just, I do love the honesty with himself. It's just like, that's just not how it works. Yeah. And he, he, I mean, Even he though, tries. Like, he does try. It. Yeah. But he's also, he's been doing it for 12 years. He's at wit's end. Like, I think with Stilgar, he gives the most amount of, like, I keep trying with Stilgar. But even then, it's like, I can only do this for a few minutes. It really gets me. Yeah. And he gives up each time. Oh, my God. It's like trying to explain grammatical structure and syntax to a child. It's like, all right, <laughs> sit down here. <laughs> this is why this goes in this order. Mm -hmm. um, so, Paul, he wants to get a better idea of things, just like you want to teach this syntax to a child. <laughs> so, in an attempt to do that, he's going to pick up a relic, Mike, and a relic from ancient Earth. How does this exist? All right. I, I did got... they just shellac the hell out of it? Oh, yeah. How did it not degrade <laughs> like, through time? Yeah. Yes. That I don't got an answer. I was like, I can make up a few reasons how it got here. You know, <laughs> like a house got it, passed it off to another one. Like, I can imagine it being off of Terra for a long mm -hmm. ass time, right? This could have even been like, my theory, I'm going to say it was either the Bene Gesserits or the Carinos. And they were given, it was given a gift as a Paul, to as a gift to oh, yeah. Paul. Yeah, sure. You know, just some sort of token. Like, clearly anything from Earth is going to be like pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I like that. And then even he uses it like it's a it's a useful thing for him to like try to ground him really gnarly. Do you know like any of uh, like the little like folk tales and stuff about conscious? Oh, folk. I well, know. not folk tales, but like. Uh, like. Uh, I, I'll get to my I, I know one conscious thing that I brought to the table. OK. All right. There's a the group, Mike, the Aztecs. Sure. Big unconscious. They used it as an art conscious. article of clothing. How do they wear it? Oh, I want to say necklace, but honestly, oh. I want to say like maybe a headpiece. Okay, okay. Gloves. They were boxing gloves in a oh. fucking fighting match. <laughs> Can you imagine? Damn. Now, they did have gnarly helmets they made, and uh, if you're going to get hit with a conch, yeah, you're going to make a helmet. Yeah, uh, pretty sure, but sure. like, yeah, it's a bloodletting kind of thing. That's amazing. Getting punched with a conch, like, that would suck. <laughs> can you imagine that i knew a guy stevie in puerto rico he just quit boxing because he didn't like getting punched with the glove like imagine <laughs> getting hit with a conch you know you keep mentioning this stevie from puerto rico here and there like i feel like there's a million stories about stevie we just need to dive into at some point okay, like when stevie caught the carjacker <laughs> so good <laughs> Dude, Stevie is Jack. I fucking <laughs> love that man. He's a the hero. That's <laughs> so good. But what do you, what do you got from constantly? Just, you got a myth? Well, n not necessarily myth, but like uh, sort of like the little urban legend or uh, have you? You've always been told like, hey, hold up a conch to your ear, you can hear the ocean. Sure, any shell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like, especially with the conch because it is so big, like it feels like it reverberates more. Yeah, and like you do sort of hear that reverb, but like that is just the natural sounds around you, sort of going in and bouncing around and coming back out sort of just like muddied oh yeah that's cool but like just the idea that it with this conch from ancient earth you can hear the ocean on this planet of sand on the planet oh, okay god yeah that would have been a neat little thing to yeah. get through. he didn't even slip that in so paul has this and he it's got like a dazzling reflections that fly off of it right and when he looks up you know what he sees in the sky mike what's he see a sand bow 
Sandbo. That's a real thing. Ah! I had to be like, can dust, dust make a rainbow? Yeah, it can. Anything that's oh. going to, it just affects the light. It's just got to be able Anything to affect the light. It. Yeah. I mean, it's the same exact thing as water vapor being up there. Well, no, because like the sand dust doesn't refract it. It'll reflect it. Right? I'm not sure of like the science of how a sand bow works. I didn't know how it works, Mike. That's pretty good. And that name. That name needs to stick. It does sound pretty good. Uh, but look, so that's just this little seashell and a rainbow. We put that aside. That's not enough to cheer Paul up. He's still mm. going to be a dick this whole chapter. <laughs> and uh, almost offhand, he says uh, his Fremen call themselves the children of the moon. Mm. And I say offhand because, yeah, it doesn't come up again. It's not in this book. It's not in the next book. It's, it's just it's just sort of sitting there. I feel like it was something he planned to elaborate on, but just never it's a, did. It's a cool idea. Yeah. I like it. it. It makes a lot of sense with the Moadi moon, you know, the one that we, has a symbol and stuff sure, like that. Yeah. I'm like, cool. I love it. I, I do wish we had more of it. Um, but Paul, ultimately, he's searching for the meaning of that falling moon, right? Mm-hmm. And he can't find any. Uh, so then he goes on and he kind of gives us a real sense of scale as he refers to this place around him. Uh as it like he comments on it as his plasmeld chasm. Ooh. And we know like the plasmeld is like one of the materials around, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. he is just a chasm of his own within this place. And from here, he can see the warren of government buildings, like far off of the side. <laughs> All of this inside that monstrous keep. That's oh, it's still just unfathomable mm-hmm. and it should be because this city is a symbol of his empire mm-hmm. equally unfathomable to an extent uh and it's built on top of the plains where they battled Sadokar. now it's just the sounds of business there's just footfalls everywhere like that's how far we've come i i made a big uh Big stink of telling you how far the Fremen have come, right? How we've mm-hmm. generated this whole culture a little bit. We've watched Stilgar's regression from naive to the creature. Now you're seeing it exerted on the whole Arakeen plane. Mm. Nothing's as it was before. We turn the corner on the balcony. From here, Mike, we can see the suburbs. Again, still inside the keep. <laughs> and Aaliyah's Fane. This is where we get a little uh, a number that we can work with here. He says it's like 2,000 meters on the side. Do you know what that is in miles? 2,000 meters? No. One and a quarter. Okay. One and a quarter miles to a side. And it's going to give you 43.5 million square feet to work with, Mike. <laughs> now, I was like, what's the biggest building on Earth? Sure. What do you want to go to guess? Guess me square foot. Oh, God. We're at 43.5 million for Elias Fane. How close do you think we've come? And you can even guess in 1969 terms. I mean, I want to say something along the lines of like Taj Mahal or like Pyramid of Giza. Mm -hmm. Would you count the pyramid as like a building? I mean, it's more of like a. You can, but no, no, that's not going to do it. Oh, what is it? No, you you just give me a square footage number. Oh, God. Don't even worry about guessing the specific place because it's got it's an industrial factory. Okay, uh, 700, uh, I, don't, I have no idea. 700,000? Yeah. All right. You, you've sold this under. We've done a lot. Like, humans are industrious people, because Boeing, they have a factory in Everett, Wisconsin. I'm sorry, Everett, Washington. This is the largest building, square footage-wise, on the earth that I could find. Okay. It has 4.2 million square feet. Whoa. That's pretty big. 
that's still off by a scale of, you know, times 10. Sure, sure. Uh, but I thought what was really neat with this was that, one, it's in Washington, which is like right near where Frank was working down in Oregon, sure. right? And then it was also completed in 1968, which is like while he was writing this book. Sure. And I thought that was just uncanny that we haven't passed it yet. It's like the biggest by far of square footage just because huh. it's, it's so much floor space for building planes. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that... That's kind of good though, because like it gives him reference for like how big he wants to like write this place up. Yeah. Oh, I like, mean, what, he, what, yeah. When it comes to that, you don't really have a reference point of just like how big is this actually. I don't mean to imply I think he knew about this building oh. or referenced it at all. I think he just went to the moon. It was like I'm gonna make a big ass building like this temple miles <laughs> or you know mile sure. and a quarter. Um, it would have been very how tied into Boeing he would have to be for that. <laughs> not very. <laughs> not very. But he is a nerd. Who knows. Uh, and on Aaliyah's fane, it displays the moon symbol of Moadib oh. with the classic green and black banners. So you caught that there were new Atreides colors, right? Well, they were green and white, but now we're going back to green and black. I mean, she is their own thing. This yeah. is a temple? Like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they just used the white robes, but it said like the green and white robes of the Atreides colors. Of the Atreides, yeah. So, I, I, I think know. you were right in what you caught on to it. I think Aaliyah just has her own thing going on. Mm. Uh, the viewing of this city is all going to culminate in Paul loathing it. He hates this place. Everything Ooh. it represents, everything it looks like. Like He hates being here. He hates doing this. He's just in a pissy mood altogether. <laughs> And so he, uh, he passes his hand across his forehead. The symbol metropolis oppressed him. He Ooh. despised his own thoughts. Such vacillation in another would have aroused his anger. Ooh. It's like, damn, man, Paul, rage is just simmering in you. He loathed his city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, we, we know that, like, Paul knows what's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. We're always alluding to it. Uh, and we're going to get to the excerpt from last week on how Paul is an inventor of government. You Ooh. recall this little line? Uh, where it said, uh, rage rooted in boredom, flickered and simmered deep within him, nurtured by decisions that couldn't be avoided. He knew which path he must follow. He'd seen it enough times, hadn't he? Seen it. Once long ago, he thought himself as an inventor of government, but the invention had fallen into old patterns. It was like some hideous contrivance with plastic memory. Shape it any way you wanted, but relax for a moment, and it snapped into the ancient forms. Forces at work beyond his reach and human breasts eluded and defied him. Oh. I just, I just love all that packaged in where, one, it's like, he's like, snapping at himself on these various things like mocking what he's seen in the oracular visions to some extent i was like i'm a creator of governments but it doesn't seem like he tries very hard sometimes i think he did try really hard and then was just shocked at like it all fell back into feudalism like the jihad happened no matter what he did right Right, like It's all these, he had these idealized notions of like, I'm going to be this perfect leader and this, you know, everything that Leto kind of like poured into him, but it's not possible. Yeah. Especially as a tyrant. Like maybe democracy is the way we should go. (laughs) Maybe we try something else out. Maybe we try something different. But yeah, I I don't think you can do it and maintain this noble status. Especially like the bigger, the bigger the populace gets, the harder it is to sort of reinforce that government. Exactly. And like, that's what he told us before, right? Like like, we're at that, we're at the pinnacle. Like we have 
hundreds of thousands of worlds out there, mm-hmm. like each with their own like lords and like fiefdoms, very feudal, but like that cannot last. No, it's very unstable. Uh, and we, we tried to avoid it, but I love it of like when Paul was looking back and compared his control of the universe can, to his control over just this planet. Mm-hmm. And like, he doesn't have total control over Dune. He's never going to have total control of this universe. Like you'd have to be able to do both if you could do either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so staring into these rooftops, Paul starts to wonder like what treasures of an unhindered life are out there. Like, Ooh, that is almost just daydreaming. Right. Seeing like all these people, they don't even know the blessings they all have. Like, I wish I could be any one of you almost. And, this is coupled with the observation of like an orchard and there are other green plantings. All of them are open to the sky. Wow. Stark difference from where we were last yeah. time, right? And the Fremen all say, Moadib spends water like a madman. It's like, yep, yeah, I think he does. I think this is part of what that conspiracy is a little uh, angered over. And so Paul's going to, he's going to cover his eyes briefly. And then look at the city again. I like a little peekaboo right here. Of uh, I'll give it one more shot. And the moon fell. Yep, the moon fell. Monstrous imperial barbity. It's all he sees. And then, again, addressing the size, terraces are like mesas. Yeah. It's just like huge plateaus of a terrace. The squares are the size of what we, you and I would call a city. Mm-hmm. Mind-boggling. Do you happen to know who the shortest-lived emperor is in the Imperium? Oh, yeah. He's like, overall? (laughs) Uh, Do you want me to find out for you? Uh, Sure, yeah. All right. So I got here a list of known uh, emperors of the known universe. And already, Mike, I can get down to the 11th emperor, and we're looking at one year. One year. So I'm, I think we're touching on months several times. There's a number of them through like, remember those kind of like harsh times that we had? <laughs> yeah, I've, I recall a couple. Like in the year 2113, there were three emperors. <laughs> so like some people move aside pretty quickly. What, sure. what did you want to get out of that? I was just wondering, this is like, if Paul, like, uh, somehow leaves or, like, doesn't last, like, would he be, like, the shortest reign emperor? But, like, obviously that's not the case. If you Oh, no, he's 12 year. years in. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. If he's anything, I think he's already in the upper tier of, like... <laughs> seems Shaddam like, had, like, what, 60 years? Shaddam had a good yeah. run. Yeah, yeah. He had, I mean, we've been in a pretty stable period mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. towards the end of the old empire. Sure, yeah. Yeah. And these Atreides upstarts. Is, yeah. Threw it all under. Uh, but yeah, I think I think he's a good emperor, all in all. I think we'll put we'll put him in our normal normal reign time. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see when the actual end date's ever going to be. So this continues on with oh, another great line from Paul looking at this place because remember he's in a bad mood sure. and uh, looking at all these buildings. Some of them are great works that just stand next to tasteless abominations. <laughs> And just like a commentator, like, I like that building. I hate that one. I hate that one. That one's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, you got everything just clashed together. Uh, it's a really strange environment. Um, I can't think of like, I guess actually uh, down in D.C., they have like a number of like the old buildings that are there protected just right next to like something that was built in the 80s across sure. from something that was built like 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And it does make for a little of like an eye jerk of like, what is going on with this block? Like it's all over the place and is not, it's not appear, uh, appealing visually. I would say, Oh, 
So I think it could be a, a taste of that. Now, his vision is so clear at this point. The moon, though, still haunts him. Right, like we've we've gotten out of that blackness and we're just in the real world, but the moon is still. This there. is going to be a motif, like for the rest of the book, isn't it? Um, uh, not that big, but yeah, it's this is this is uh, the turn that we've been waiting for. Sure, uh, this is the last thing Paul needed to see to set him, because even before, I think in the last time we said he already seemed like he was on the rails, right? Yeah, like I've made this decision, the dice are already cast, like mm-hmm. I'm just going to ride this on and get off whenever I can. This is another point where it's like, no, no off ramp here. Uh, I guess we keep going. Even if, I, even if he gets through this next like hurdle in crises, mm-hmm. it's just going to be another down the road. I think that's just sort of the curse of the auricular. Yeah, the vision. curse of prescience, yeah. right? Yeah, you, you, you see trouble. <clears throat> no one wants to see trouble. No, nothing good comes from that. All you can focus on is trouble. Uh, and I like the the phrasing that he uses: frustrate, uh, frustration tangled him. Oh, so it's partly like his fault, right? Like yeah. if, if he was in a calmer state, this might not be as uh, troublesome, but then terrible purpose is going to come in and hit him like a hammer. And he sees now from his vision, just the migration of genes across the universe. It's like he's getting this macro image and it's seen like a subway map of all the people mingling and going about and like flowing from here to here. So old friend, terrible purpose coming mm-hmm. back in. Oh, he's got to talk about this. Well, does that mean that that's like the, uh, inevitable future? No. Um, Cause like, I, that's what I always like sort of started, uh, associating terrible purpose with is something that like you cannot run away from. No, no. Terrible purpose was the unbridled unconscious, like uh, subconscious of all humanity, oh, all humanity. Gotcha. Remember, Cause remember it showed up sure. it was, it was a racial unconscious and all it is, is it's coming here to show Paul and tell Paul. And you can see the line that he has here of like, there's no abstinence program that would work. There's no forced sterilization program that would work. And there's no magic spell I can say that will ever stop this from moving and doing its thing. Why would he want to stop? That's control. There are forms of control. Okay. Like you can't manage this. The same the Bene Gesserit can't. Like we, the people, are just going to mingle and go. And he's just saying, like, I think he's putting the ultimate topper on like the Bene Gesserit plan sure. to be like they just wanted to like guide it and control it. And he's like, nothing you could possibly do can have an effect on this. It will always get outside like and grow. Just- um, I feel like it's just going to bring things to like a tipping point and where like you try and trying to control that so much, like the longer and harder you try to control the the gene lines within mm-hmm. humanity, the more explosive it's going to be when eventually like you lose control. I mean, that was the first book. That was the first was, book. They but, like, tried and then love was just like, nope. <laughs> but now well, here's the thing. Now Paul's sort of trying to do that too. In a way, it's just like, how, how can I stop this? He's yeah in the same like uh, trying to he's trying to control the future more so than the people. But I, I get that they're all intertwined at this point since he was like the end of that line. Right, yeah, right, right. That we're not done with that first story. So to, uh, all the way. Okay. That, there's still more to come. Sure. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Of like the just the ramifications from that uh, Jessica's decision. So, okay. Going back to uh, our wine's namesake here, uh, this golden path is that. 
is that the branch like uh trying to control things or the inevitable like chaos of things not being able to oh nice try mike you're not gonna no shit you only get what paul's will to tell you <laughs> and even then i've translated that it's the golden path <laughs> You take my word. No, you know what we're going to land on, Mike? Is that uh, Paul has this enigmatic question of what mattered a single moon in such a universe? Ooh. Yeah, so we'll leave the people aside. Let's focus on this moon, Mike. Yeah. This moon. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll leave. Golden has got to come later. I can't tell you anything about that. Uh, it would really take away from our development down mm -hmm. the road. Mm -hmm. So Paul is all but distracted by this moon. And then... A song of the jihad is playing deep, deep within the citadel. A ten-string rababa tinkled. Now, this is an instrument, Ooh. Mike. I'm gonna I clear the way for you here. What the hell is a ten-string rababa that makes a tinkling sound? I actually have no idea on this particular instrument. Oh, can you, you know like? Uh, Oh, it's like, do you have like no uh, realistic instrument that you could think of that would be contemporary? With, like, I mean, is there any, isn't there like an Indian guitar that kind of has bells in the top bar of it? I mean, I mean, I always think of the sitar, but that is like way more complicated than even that. Like the amount of strings and frets that it has. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm sure someone's going to chime in with like a really good, uh, I guess the other thing, like, do you think like, does a harp make like a tinkling noise? Do you think a, you would ever describe a I harp as tinkling? No, no, no. I don't know. Cause that, that's the only other like, uh, area of my kind of mind. Yeah. I guess like, I would eh. want something like, uh, that has like some sort of like percussiveness to it in a way that, like, uh, lingers. Mm -hmm. I don't know. See, I was, uh, yeah. I mean like a bell kind of, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah you gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I tingling kind of like symbols. Yeah. Uh, it's all I could linger on to. Um, but like chimes almost. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Like, like, yeah, it's like a wind chime. Yeah, very yeah, yeah. much. And the song uh, on the wind here. The song, the, you know, the song sickens him. And again, Paul's just in a dick mood. <laughs> and he refers to it's this is something that uh, people as stupid creatures do to like Jeez, you know latch on to these kind Paul. of memories yeah it's like what is wrong with you i'd say he's being a bit of a hater and oh and then hate comes into the room nope. <laughs> uh he emerges from the shadow in the sun's glare and he comes out into the sun's so, glare so creepy not suspect at all uh, well <laughs> so it, it says he uh comes into the shadows of the grill work so i think he just came through paul's room and out onto the balcony. Sure. Is my, is how I would assume that would be no, most normal way to take that. But otherwise it does kind of just say he comes from the shadows of the grill work. I don't know what that, if he was on the, was he outside the balcony the whole time? And Paul came out on him or <laughs> was Paul tripping balls when he told hate to like wait on the Hate's balcony for a, the whole the time, whole time just snapping fingers in front of Paul's eyes. Like Paul, Paul, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Sire. Paul never stood up. He's <laughs> Love it. Uh, but we have him there. As he approaches, Paul's going to ask him, is this Duncan or hate? Oh. And I'm like, why, do, why does he ask him that? Uh, oh, this, is, you this is your interpretation. Why? Well, just why? Like, he knows who it is. He doesn't know who you it know is. You know this why? isn't Duncan. Why does he ask him? Well, he, as much as he says that, he keeps, all the Atreides keep referring to him as Duncan. Yeah, I mean, part Even though of it, they're the ones that said, like, we'll call you hate. It's fine. I, I think he wants it to be Duncan. He does want a it to little be bit each time. It's it's working. Oh, I don't know, man. 
the whole point of the conspiracy. And then, uh, do you think yeah. that also is like, uh, just is a good reflection back to what initially happened with Duncan? It was like Duncan could have and should have lived. Like he did live in a timeline and somehow I messed that up. Oh, okay. Like a little um, yeah. uh, remorse. Well, like definitely remorse, but like, I think Duncan is always going to be a sticking point to Paul of like what could have been. Mm-hmm. Cause that was like, a, that was the first nexus he really hit and changed. And he didn't even, he missed it before he realized that was the was. first one he got to see the results of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know that like that. That's my first thought on that. All right. The other thought that I would throw in there is like, uh, cause hate is going to reply, which would you prefer? He doesn't want to lean in either way. And I think they both kind of wonder if Duncan is the trigger. Oh. Well, like, you know, we know he's a trap. What sets this trap off? Sure, sure, sure. We both know what it's playing off of. You want me to think of Duncan. That's why they made you look like Duncan. Right, like, right. is there something within that, like, by him saying that, like, is is the trap now? Like, are you here to finally destroy me? Like, whatever it is you're going to do. Sure. And I think that is what Duncan is like the harbinger of doom in a way. And just like, are you here? Are you like the angel of death? Damn. Free me. Free me. But Paul, like, he doesn't even kind of look at him. He has to look away. And he looks out at the shield wall. And then looking at the shield wall, again, in this bitter mood, he sees a mimicry of his city. Like, as the carvings, the wind is made into it. He sees, like, a buttress and this and that. And it's nature mocking him. And he's just, everything is very personal for him Jeez. today. Within this place, he sees, like, a slice within the rock, and he's like, ah, that's where we fought Sadakar once. Which, everywhere on this field, you fought Sadakar. Like, <laughs> everywhere you look, you have that thought. And that's where we had the, the worm cavalry rolling in, though, specifically. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's very much a guy reliving that one football game in high school, <laughs> right? Every time he wants to talk about this. <laughs> I don't think you can compare that to a football game in high school. Really? The championship, Mike? <laughs> so many people died, Derek. I don't think you played football, Mike. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's just like he always—it's oh, his glory days. He's got to bring back to the glory sure. days. This one day when he did everything right, and the whole universe like broke his way. <laughs> everything else has been shit before and after that, mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I, when you say glory days, it's like his son died that day. Yeah, that was the best of a very bad time, though. <laughs> God damn it! His dad died the time before. <laughs> The like, glory days. I don't know. I don't know. You got to pick him on Arrakis, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. But I still, I, I, I don't right, think I'll right. yield that one. Okay. You get the caveat of like, you're not going to celebrate the death of a child. Woo. Mike's so high on the moral <laughs> ground. <laughs> Aaliyah would be right there with me. <laughs> now, Paul shares uh, with hate specifically, like, hey. This is a vision that's really bothering me today. Like, this is getting to me. Mm-hmm. And probably that familiarity you're touching on with Duncan is, yeah. like, again, that's going to be his go-to when he sees hate here. Uh, hate tells him that, hey, I had visions too when I first awakened. And like, ooh, this is a really cool insight for us. Yeah. Into like, what is a Gola like? And the Gola, when it first awakened, it would have all these visions of whatever, these memories, if you will. And the Tlaxlu just told them, Man, don't worry. That's an intrusion of the flesh, which all Mandangolas suffer, a sickness. Mm. And I, I, I love the idea of, like, all Mandangolas suffer. Just like this is just This is a, an affliction of humanity on you, right, in a way. Mm. It just gets you to sidestep this kind of problem. 
clearly there's something building here, right? True. I still I still wonder if he was like made with prescience or if Duncan had any sort of prescience himself. Oh. And just like never really knew it. That's a good one. I'm taking that of like an unknown that yeah. Talaxlu didn't know. And what if they've grown something that's a little behind them? Mm-hmm. I mean, hey. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Yeah. God, I don't even know. You want that? You want that to be something? Have you ever considered? Uh, so, you know, Sightail has put on Duncan's face before. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is this even Duncan? Hate? Has there ever been a character that was actually Sightail that maybe Frank wasn't honest about? Well, that, that's what I. I don't even know, Derek. I, every oh, time I read a chapter, I'm just like, "Who is this?" I wait for the internal monologue. I'm like, "Check, it's not them." You you know they won't fake the thoughts. Yeah. Has there been anyone that hasn't thought? Corba. Definitely Corba. I don't think it was Corba though. Okay. I oh 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 uh Banerjee. He didn't show up yet. Banerjee was given instruction uh via Corba to go get Banerjee and you do the killing while Banerjee watches you. Right, right, right. right. Well, like, but that, he, he the, hasn't actually shown up on scene. He will come into the book, though. Sure, sure, sure. But that's, yeah. that, that's my point, though. Because, that's your like, other, other character. Sy- hey, Scythe was in that chapter. He left, but we mentioned Banerjee. Like, got you. I'm sorry. Yeah, he could have. Uh, there's Frank always has so much happening behind the scenes, like, uh, I want to say, in tandem with, like, yeah. the chapter. Yeah. I'm just saying, I've, I've never seen Scythe and Banerjee in the same room together. That's true. True. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, we got to go find another body in the desert, Mike. <laughs> oh, no. That's a good one. Um, all right. So we get this Talaxlu kind of view of this. Really cool. Uh, Paul, though, at this, he calls him Duncan. And this is like, I think, probing and hoping. A little, you know, kind of wants, but oh. hate's going to have none of it. He's like, uh, my name's Hate. <laughs> <laughs> you chose that name. <laughs> This is something I shouldn't have to tell you, but Paul, he's high though. And poor hate. He's having such an identity crisis as it is. It does not help when everyone just keeps calling him Duncan. You know, and no one really cares how he's doing. <laughs> no one stops to be like, "Hey, you want to talk a little bit?" They all got their own problems. They want to dump on hate. Like he is just—he's the family therapist at this point. <laughs> Analyze the future, hate. Hey, give me a kiss. Yeah. God, I just want to know who I am. <laughs> Paldo, he's going to go on. He's like, I saw a moon fall. It was gone, destroyed. I heard a great hissing. The earth shook. Again, it's just super worm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, super yeah, indicative of worms. Definitely. And the Gola responds to him that you are drunk on too much time. Oh, that's good. Yeah, a drunken Idaho is going to know when you're too drunk. <laughs> He'll cut you off. Yep. And Paul's like, ah, oh, I asked for the Zinsuni and I get the Mentat. Very well. Play my vision through your logic, Mentat. Like, I don't want to put him on the spot there. Damn. He will, though. Like, if yeah. you tell a mentat to do something, they're like, fine. This is, you're really the one that's going to regret this here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he tells them, you run from death. You strain at the next instant. Refuse to live here and now. Augury. What a crutch for an emperor. I also really want to just, like, touch on the last line Paul said before that. Analyze it and reduce it to mere words laid out for burial. Laid out for burial. For, for burial. Yeah. Like, this, this is like a dirge. Yeah, okay. I like that. Oh, just put it all out there. But I, I like that he's willing to speak so glibly to him. Yeah. Telling him, like, augury. Like, why would you even bother? Like, yeah. you, you, you're a mentat. 
and Paul just he wants to not rely on uh, the prescience as a crutch, but he just does. I don't think he can anymore. I think it is just a permanent part of the way he thinks. Yeah. 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 I guess I got to kind of, once you see danger, you can't be like, well, I'm not going to look away from it now. I, it's sort of like a mix of that. I can't help, but think that the muddying of it is also just like, you know, you've tempted it. He can see a glimmer. Like all he has to do is break through and he can be right back to where he started. Like it's just the easy route and he can't, you know, he just wants to hit it so hard. Like, no, I know if I broke through, but yeah, at the same time, like how he's not able to analyze that as a weakness and be like, clearly you're too reliant on this in the last book. You would have seen this right away as you did each step of the way of you learning what your prescience is. But maybe now it is like, yeah, we're too far along. He is just built into a pattern. He's not able to learn anymore. That oh. version of Paul is kind of past. This is a like an adult stuck in a rut. Dang. It's harsh. So in the exchange where hate asks Paul if he's able to make these futures real. Like, you know, is, are you able to view these and make them reality? Or is this all just like a joke? Paul explains what the trade-off actually is. All that, the while, he's unable to look away from a mole on his face, which I think is just a weird little, like... Just gets caught up. And, well, that's the, the emphasis on the Duncan. Yeah. That's the focusing on the Duncan and me wanting my friend back. It makes me think of that Austin Powers scene, uh, the third one. Like, that, see, mo- yeah. 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 Mother, yeah. Mother, mother. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They totally ruined it for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Harry mole on his face. Uh, but Paul, the trade-off that we make here, Mike, the taqwa, is that you get locked into an event, but I'll be alive later. And that's what really matters to Paul. He's like, there are so many other things, but at least if I do these lockstep, I, I throw away all my choice, but I live. And that gives me the chance, like we said, to get out, which is, I think, all he's in, it's all he's in it for right now. Right. He's riding this car just to get out. He thinks he sees an exit up ahead. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, well, they're not. Well, I would, yeah. Because hmm. he, he couldn't have, like, done an escape to two pile or anything, because then who would have taken his place, and the jihad probably wouldn't have stopped, and it, once the jihad did eventually make it to two pile, they'd be like, oh, Muad'Dib is here, and this is the new capital now. Uh, no, the jihad couldn't ever go to two pile. You don't think so? They still have to take the guild. You don't think they'd hold the guild hostage? They, I mean, the that's the one thing you can't like. Even the jihad now hasn't gone to Dubile. True. I mean, absolutely. But they, they want to know. They yeah no. I don't. I don't think they have. Uh, I mean, if Paul can't get them to, I don't see how anyone no, else absolutely, would. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Just, but it's just the idea that like they were pressing that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, no, no. He was holding out on signing it. He was never pressing it. Mm-hmm. But he was holding it out to p- add pressure to the guild. So it was always like a, a faux um, bargaining chip. Sure. You know, just knowing that you're never going to get it, but what can I get? Well, by the, they, never, they never get the comfort of that issue being settled. Sure. Like every time they met with the emperor for 12 years, it's like he might bring up two pile today. And like <laughs> each time we have to say no. And that's really hard when we want that spite. You know, it's in such a strange predicament for him there. The, the two piles I love is like this. A little side thing, but I would even want to like that. We knew that two bottles were available to the great houses. Yeah. Was it ever available to the emperor? Like, I, yeah, I, I think so. Why? Didn't I, we talk? No, no, no. Wait a second. Yeah. Didn't we talk about an emperor that like went into exile into two pile? 
Can you explain more. I don't recall off the top of my head. I don't, I just I recall like an emperor like going into going to Dupile. Mm. Maybe I mean this could just be my imagination. I think uh, I might be too drunk yeah, on time. I don't know if we have that one in there or not. Well, the, what, 50, didn't 50. We, there was a time we had two emperors, like a father and a son, and like one like went to exile. And then the son took it over. It wasn't two piles though. That was just oh. like uh, that was like the weird interplay where like he kicked the son out and then he didn't let his dad back. And like, yeah, 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 like, yeah, they fought over the power or whatever. Yeah, like, I kind of yeah, after your retirement, like you know what? I want to be emperor again. So it's like no, that, that was like exile, but not to two pile. Okay, I thought yeah. it was, he went to two pile. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> that was a great yeah because i tried to find a historical like, like sure who got mad at their dad <laughs> they, like took his title and i was like nah dad but that, that wasn't the thing it wasn't even that like the dad's no, like no the dad out. no it was an emperor because his son became like the count or the duke and then when his dad came back he's like i'm not giving the duke back oh, and, that's, like, yeah that's what it was, it was like what the fuck yeah yeah <laughs> and it was just very weird of like can your inheritance pass and then you come back and try to take it back? i was misremembering because i was sure there would have been like one I wanted it to be England and like a court case to happen in England. <laughs> There's got to be a law yeah, or right? a favor or a story. All right, we. I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. Sure, yeah. So now Paul and Duncan. Oh God, Paul and Hate. Ooh, they're gonna go back and forth with some Zinsuni quips. Not all these are worth us sussing out. Sure. Uh, essentially, though, there's no absolute truth, and Paul thinks he's got a chance. Boom. <laughs> Hate though, he sees delusions of immortality in Paul. And I love that. It's gonna right. He gets to the point. He spares him nothing. He can talk directly. If Stilgar was here, Stilgar would be hair on the back of his neck. The way he's talking to Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this reminds Paul that even his empire must die. It has to live out its days, and it's finite. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a little no countdown one forever. Exactly. And this is where Paul he kind of like starts losing it, right? He asks if is this how hate destroys him? Do you stop me from collecting my thoughts? And it's like, whoa, whoa, okay, Paul, calm down. You're going a little crazy <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. here. Uh that's not really what he uh he's here to do. He's always here to help you. And he tells him, I'm deviled by a vision and you spew nonsense. What do you know of prescience? And Gola is going to come back and I feel like he's just talking about the present, right? Yeah. Because he's like, I've seen the Oracle at work. I've seen those who seek signs and omens of their individual destiny. They fear what they seek. It's like, Paul, he's just telling you what he sees right now. (laughs) Paul, Paul is so oblivious to this though. It's like, my moon is real. It's real. He takes a trembling breath. It moves. It moves. Okay, Lido, calm down, calm down. (laughs) Uh, I'm surprised this doesn't evoke something in uh, hate. For like, uh, like Duncan and Leto. Uh, I I don't think they ever had that. I don't think. I think Leto was a bit more put together before he went to Dune. No, I think Leto only showed himself to Paul. Oh yeah, that was an, remember okay, that was like an fair, intentional fair. waxing. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. He he plays the That's, character each time. Yeah, I guess Paul Jessica the only people he would ever do that in front of. Yeah, it, well, it just made a point in that because uh, you're talking about the when they were at that outpost on the edge of town. Yeah, he comes back in walking like, through. It's like finally, in the elevator. He like takes a breath. Yeah, he let himself be sure. tired finally. Yeah, the elevator, especially when they yeah. closed and no one was with him. Yeah, that was a good moment. Um. So I don't think uh, I okay, ever sure. got that exp- uh, experience. All with right, him. no, no, you convinced me. Um, where do I want to go with here? Ah, Paul's last line here. 
you comfort me with thorns. Ooh. I just thought that was very poetic. Yeah. Um, Hate, though, he's talking to an addict right now. And <laughs> yeah. I, I like it. Again, he's trying to talk this guy down to, like, sobriety. I'm sure, like, yeah. to take some water. Why don't you, like, lay off the drugs for a week? Like, we can get you back into a rehab. And you could be an emperor by the next week. No problem. <laughs> We're going to go on a little trip, my team. Mm-hmm. But Paul, fucking high as hell, he looks at hate. Hate has an inner illumination to him. He's glowing. And for a moment, he is pure Duncan Idaho. Oh, I feel like that's a check and side tales book. <clears throat> Everything's <laughs> yeah. going according to plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I feel bad because like hate, he can't control any of this. Like he, I, he's not being purposely malicious by anything that I can divine anyways. No, no. And, it, and especially in this moment, because what causes that illumination is that Paul notes that uh, there's a memory or something that hate suppresses. And Paul's very sure it's a Duncan memory or like a Duncan urge mm. that he is gone out of his way to like push and tamper down. And Paul just catches it. Cause that's all, what he's looking for. Exactly. It's all wrapped that's up. That's all he wants. It's all wrapped up in that one moment. Duncan for a moment to Duncan. like say, it's going to be okay, sire. I, I just even kid. Yeah. I, you know, oh, I yeah. Think well, maybe, yeah. I don't know. If anybody would give him a diminutive, it might be uh Duncan. What do they call him? Like a uh, young Lord. Yeah, young lord, young. Yeah. I think young lord and young master. Uh, now, Paul whispers, "My moon has a name." Oh God! <laughs> yeah, that weird. <laughs> then he just lets the vision flow back over him, Mike, and he goes right back in. <laughs> this is great. There are some drugs that they describe as they they hit you in waves, and it literally is like let's say the whole thing lasts for five hours at like an hour and a half, you come back down to sobriety mm-hmm. and you're like, Oh, I'm really good. And then it goes back up and like, Whoa. you can't stop it. And you just go right back into it. That's what happens here. I, he had a <laughs> moment of clarity and it's gone. What, what do you got? Do you, uh, do you know the Oscar Meyer uh, theme? The Oscar <laughs> Meyer song? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he has the first name or yeah. Uh, I was, uh, was it Oscar Meyer? <laughs> O-S-C-A-R. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing with the moon. Yeah. <laughs> like him spelling his own okay. name out. <laughs> I was like, oh God. My moon has a first name. It's M-U-A-V. <laughs> okay, M-A-U-A-D. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that I'll sounds horrible. I like Horrifying. It. Yeah, uh, what I hate is he doesn't tell him what the name of the moon is. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, come on. You came this far. Well, kind of. I think the, the moon might be Chandy ultimately, right? I because mm. he lets the vision flow back over him, and this vision, Mike, it's all about Cheney's absence. It goes through about how she's not here, her touch, her feel this. All of it flows back into the water and back into the sand. Oh. Now, you know how the death ritual works? <gasps> that would be the two places mm-hmm. you put a person once they pass. Right, right, The right. water goes to the water, and the rest goes into the sand. So, ultimately, I think we've been... Definitely talking about, like, Paul, where's Paul going to go? Like, is he going to make it out? I think we did touch on it back, I think, especially when Irlan and Guys Helmheim were talking. I don't think Cheney's making it out of this book. I think Cheney's he, dying. I think we, we were coy about it before. We knew what it would cost Cheney. Like, yeah. he, he thinks there's something good about, like, that's why he's been pushing both of them off. He, oh, I'm sorry. It's, he wouldn't give her the child because he tells her, you don't know what it would cost. This is the cost of her having the child, mm. at least as she's gonna. Oh, well, as the plan stands now, right? Like he kept seeing a future without her, but he's like, if I don't get her pregnant, she lives. 
if I don't get Eril on pregnant, she lives. So is that one of the things where, like, in uh, one particular future, maybe Cheney dies in childbirth? I mean, I think we have a, a myriad. Like, before, it was a matter of, like, I I, th- I think it seemed to insinuate Irulan would kill her. Like, if Irulan right. got pregnant, Cheney would die. Sure. If Cheney became pregnant, like, maybe Irulan would do something to off her and the it's child. Like, oh, now you have an heir, though, so it's fine. Except, yeah, it was sort of, like, all over right. the place with it. So, nonetheless, like, we got this very clear image now of, like, Cheney is gone on the path we've set on. She wasn't gone before. She is now. We're going to have to see very, like, uh, remember all the gurney paths we were on? Mm-hmm. It's going to be Paul looking for, I think our off-ramp includes Cheney living. Sure, yeah. Right? Now, whether or not that'll happen, we shall see. But I, we get to the end of our chapter here, Mike. Just like the first one, I don't think it's happening. Of what? I don't think Cheney's making it out. Paul wasn't able to avert the jihad. All right, so you think Gaius, Helen, Sightail, Cheney, all dead. Yeah. What about Paul? I think Paul will probably, uh, gonna, I think he's, he's going to live. He's going to yield the throne to Edric. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do think he is going to yield the throne though. Or at least like he wants to discredit himself mm-hmm. in some way as like part of the price. The other price being Cheney. If she already dies and uh, he can't stop that, then I think he will just follow through with the rest of the plan and be like, well, I guess like what else do I have now? Discredit himself, go f- whatever that like good path is. Interesting. That's I, like that's what I'm thinking. Okay, that's what I'm thinking. I I love this idea that you're willing to gloss over the Chandy. Like he's gonna let Chandy die and then make a decision. No, no, no. It's not a matter of letting her die. Uh, I think he's gonna try his damnedest to keep her alive, and he's just gonna fail. I don't so think he's gonna be able to make. Would that. she her death be the parallel to Leto the second's death in the first book? Yeah, like the, that's the a catalyst. close loved one. Yeah, yeah. that like. I always looked at it as well, like, you know, once the sun died, we went off the rails on Jihad. He right, was like, like Jihad did, be damned. Yeah, it like, didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I think that's going to be the thing. Um, well, no, you know, hmm. Yeah. No, Actually, every yeah, time you got yeah. too many hums, Mike. <laughs> too many hums, that's what you yeah. got to cut me off. Yeah. All right, let's let, go. Let me get this last uh, paragraph sure. here. We'll finish this chapter All right. off. All right. Just as his moon would go, they were gone. Still his vision lay before him. Its terrible purpose gave him no choice. The flesh surrenders itself, he thought. Eternity takes back its own. Our bodies stirred these waters briefly, danced with a certain intoxication before the love of life and self, dealt with a few strange ideas, then submitted to the instruments of time. What can we say of this? What can we say of this? I occurred. I am not. Yet I occurred. That's where our chapter Ooh. ends. Doesn't get any clearer. No, no, not no. at all. We're going to leave out with terrible purpose. I love it. Give oh, us my a, God. This obscurity. But uh, I like our body stirred the waters briefly, danced with certain intoxication before the love of life and self. Damn, Frank. Damn. Every now and then, you hit it. <laughs> and other times, you get some really bad epigraphs. And you don't name people. <laughs> and you don't... <gasps> gonna get a name for her that's the worst part of it one day mike one day <laughs> one day we'll have to make up a name for her but until that time do you have anything else you want to throw into that chapter oh i mean into like the mix there no just all of my like uh 
my corkboard theories trying I, to figure out like where are we going was, with this? It was a good one for it. I'm, uh, oh my gosh. Like I told you, this is the turn, so. Well, like that, yeah, that's the thing. Like we we sort of have an idea of everyone's plan, except for Sidetail. We sort of just know he wants to control Paul somehow. Mm-hmm. Not exactly we don't know the extent of it. We just know that hate is the instrument through which he's going to do that. His has like the most interesting question mark. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you know the end game of the others, what they want. His Guys has been like, is so bland. Hey, you know what though? 99 <laughs> generations, Mike, like they're on point. Like, yeah, it's not an elaborate, it does, not, not a lot of bells and whistles <laughs> on their plan, but it's got purpose. Sure. Sure. I, Edric, I don't even think Edric knows what his plan is. Yeah, like, what the fuck is the guild going? I, I mean, the guild's just like, we just want spies, <laughs> yeah. and we'll fly ships again? Yeah, pretty much. They're really, yeah, the strangest people to be in this, <laughs> in this conspiracy. It really is. But, like, if you're going to do something like this, you got to have the guild involved. Okay, you can't not, what I keep you know? saying. That's the only reason we have Edric here. I know, I know. So, and ultimately, I want to see where Irulan falls, because I think she could shift sides either way. She's cool because she became the wild card halfway exactly. through when she told Gaius Helen off. But go ahead, spend me. Exactly. I dare you. But if she had to choose, ultimately, I think she would kill Janie. Choose what? Uh, choose like what side to be on, or like where she stands within this uh, storm of plots. Sure, sure. I think if she could choose anything, she'd choose a baby. Yeah, she'd choose she, a baby. I think she would align the sure. pole entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very strange and how that could have worked out. I guess. Ultimately, what I'm most intrigued by is Sightail's plan, because that, that does have the biggest question mark, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, okay, I, I'm not giving guys Helmaheim enough credit, because apparently her plan is sort of like, you know, sparks are flying a little bit. With Paul and Ali are left alone, apparently bad things can happen. Stilgar has been the chaperone for us oh, a couple yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's not a bad plan, apparently. Mm-hmm. Like, it does have merit to it. This is, there's a lot of things going at the same time. A lot of balls being juggled. I don't know. Before, it always felt like Paul was going to be the crux of it and his decision would dictate things. But I don't think that's the case right now. I think that there are equal players on the field. We have, yeah, I mean, it was cool in the in the first book, Dune. It's very much Paul was the unknown player to everybody else. Exactly. So it seemed like he really got to choose his own adventure because no one was accounting for his actions. Yeah. Now it's a Trump card. Well, now it's the opposite where everyone is counting on his action alone Mm -hmm. and he doesn't know who the other players are. He's crippled by that own ability now. Right. Well, because they've gone out of their way. Like, yeah, I love the muddying of the waters. It's cool. Stripping him of the one ability we gave Mm -hmm. him, right. Mm -hmm. Or reducing him. He's got to use all of his other faculties to keep up. I know that uh, a lot of people don't give uh, Messiah a lot of uh, props that they prefer. Like children of Dune, like gloss over Messiah, but like, I'm I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. Just wait till we read children. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, it's, (laughs) am I going to be like Messiah? Maybe you might. I mean, everyone's everyone's got their own. I love seeing the list of how people, I love them all. I mean, I it, basically the last one I read is probably the one I love most. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's just how it goes for me. I yeah, can sure. I can make a case for any of them. That's fair. They are distinct, though. I've told you where I kind of match them all up for like these two go together, these three are kind of together. God Emperor does his own thing. Like, yada, yada. <laughs> yeah, you you pick your poison, but it's definitely more of a noir than the first book. It definitely is. Of def- like, and I like that. I yeah. really do. It's it's growing. I like you. intrigue and mystery, and oh, knowing our Fremen characters. But That's true. We've oh. lingered too long, Mike. We got to get on a highlighter ASAP. Oh God, chat taxes are due. Chom, let's go.
first off, I love that chapter. That was just so much fun to go through and like dive into. Mm-hmm. Paul, he's looking for a friend in Duncan. There's no Duncan though. It's just hate. Just hate. It's just hate. But you know, you do have a friend in Derek. And you got a friend in Mike. You got a friend in Audible. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> right now, we partnered with Audible and they're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial when they visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. Ooh, what are they going to do with that trial? Well, when you sign up, you get a credit that you can use to pick from one of thousands of titles like Dune. There you go. My first audiobook. One credit equals one audiobook. And hey, you sign up with your Amazon Prime account, you so, get two credits instead. Two credits? Yeah. Dude Messiah as well. Why not? Sure. From then on, you'll get an additional credit every month to help you build an amazing audiobook library. And oh my God, I, I broke. I broke Derek. What'd you got? I bought the three credit bundle. Oh. I, I got hey. to the point. I had that itch. I had mm-hmm. to get another book. I mm-hmm. did it. Didn't even think about it. I did that a while ago. Too. It's <laughs> satisfying, it's right? Really it's satisfying. like 20 bucks or something. Oh. Uh, yeah, it was like only 25 bucks for me. Change, yeah. And I think I bought like $100 in books. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's good. That That is the thing to, to point out too. The credit, you spend that, doesn't matter the price of the book. It's one-to-one. Mm-hmm. So it's very good for that. But Derek, you can get a good value. Good value, but I want to know what you're listening to. Oh, my, I spent that on a good value too. Uh, so there's a book way back. I remember reading it in school and I was like, oh. You know, I, this is what I want to listen to. I want something lighthearted, a little adventure. Mm. The Once and Future King by T.H. White. Have you ever read that book? No. Re- oh, what man. Is, I'm pretty stoked. So, so when this came up in school, I remember reading, oh, it must have been like fifth grade or something way back. So it's Jordan. it's basically the King Arthur story. It's the Arthurian legend. I love Arthurian legend. Takes you through the whole thing, uh, him growing up. But the author is very like Terry Pratchett. There is like some tongue in cheek humor that I did not appreciate at all. Like, so Merlin, he's going backwards in time. That alone as a trope is amazing. And I'm like, I love that so much more now. So he has a cabinet full of guns. Uh, Like, (laughs) there's all this. No wonder he's a wizard. Or like, well, and then read through. It's like, this is just, I've only gotten through like the first half right now. So what I want to mostly allude to is in the beginning part, but like, when you first meet Merlin, uh, or one of the bits the author is going through, he mentions like a couple things of wine. He's like, and they're drinking port. And he's like, well, they don't actually have port, but it's easier to refer to it by the modern language, you know, uh, so you sure. have a better understanding. Yeah, right. And it's like stuff like that that breaks that fourth wall. Uh, Merlin, they're looking down. So each story in the beginning is giving you like a, a lesson on how to rule. So uh, Arthur is meeting these various things. So in the moat, he shrinks them down, turns them into a fish, and drops them in. To do that, Ooh. Merlin goes, oh, Neptune? And like this guy shows up with this big tattoo of what? like a mermaid and like an anchor on his arm, and that's Neptune. And I'm like, that's funnier than I would have ever picked up. And like, like a legit a, Neptune. Just imagine like an old sailor kind of like motif sure, with all yeah, those yeah. tattoos. That's Neptune. That's he shows hilarious. Up, turns into a fish, drops him in, he goes has his little fish adventure. So he is a wizard. Oh yeah, he's totally okay, a wizard. Sure. Okay, well, cool. I don't know. He's from the future, Mike. It might just be technology. It's me, my me. new theory. I'm just like, I'll prove my credentials by killing that man a thousand feet away well, with my wizard staff, I think 50 he, caliber. He's just, he knows time lords. Like this is just a Doctor Who adventure in a <laughs> nutshell. But I digress too far. The Once and Future King by T.H. White. It's awesome. And it takes you through, like, the first half is him growing up. The second half is, like, Adult Arthur, the Round Table, Morgana. I love that. You do it all. It's really well done. It's That's so super fun. awesome. You should totally pick it up, my I man. I will, because I love Arthurian Legends. Hey, that new Green Knight movie is uh, coming out here soon. Oh. That's based off an Arthurian legend, actually. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the, isn't he uh, one of the Knights of the Round? Oh, uh, no, he's not. But uh, Gawain <gasps> is, and he actually has an encounter with the Green Knight. Oh, is it his, like, rival? 
Uh, no, it's, it's a big story that I don't want to get into in an advert. Okay, we're going to... We'll, we'll talk about we'll it later. We'll talk about That's it later. Fine. That's fine. <laughs> but, Derek, three yeah. days are up. What if you're not enjoying Audible? What do you do? Mike, this happened. See, like, I've been having this reoccurring dream of a closing book for the longest <laughs> time. And, like, I was like, what is this about? I tried to ask Bruno, but he's not really vocal with me. Like, <laughs> we not. don't get along that really well. Uh, and he just kept answering me in riddles. And so I was like, look, I don't have a therapist to run this by. So I reached out to the one I go to for mental health assistance, the Audible Help Desk. I just send them emails. <laughs> they don't normally appreciate it. But this time, like, they did come back. And they knew what exactly was going up. And they're like, look, emails, very 2020. We're manipulating dreams now. You ever seen Inception? We do that. So instead of a boring email telling you you got 30 days to cancel, you get an enigmatic nightmare to rouse you to action. <laughs> so I can't recommend it enough. Uh, Audible is totally going to give a heads up. Know, they'll give yeah. it a heads up. Most people nowadays will get the email, but like, hey, that's impressive. That's hey, impressive. And tell you what, you wake up in a cold sweat, you're going to cancel that account. <laughs> that's true. And hey, if you do, you still need to keep your entire audiobook library. Anything that you bought with your credits, any of those Audible originals that are in your library, they're yours for life. You can continue to listen to them all you want. Put them on loop. Put them, put them on loop. <laughs> <laughs> we know you understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. We're going to help you get a free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. So guys, get out there, sign up, and let us know what you pick up with that free trial at audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. All right. Derek, let's get back. Let's do it. Got a little adventure to go on, Mike. Yeah. Derek, I'm so excited. What do we got today? Well, Mike, you know what? We call this section the deep dive. Mm -hmm. Let's dive under the sea. (laughs) Okay, wait, what what are we we talking about? I got an article. This is in the the Maker of Dune, Insights of a Master of Science Fiction, edited by Tim O'Reilly. Right. This is that collection of uh, just a bunch of writings by Frank Herbert on a lot of different topics. Today's one is Under the Sea Riches for Everybody. So this is just touching into like Frank looking at the world he's living in and kind of uh, spitballing what the near future is going to be like. Where where is humanity going to go in the next 30 years from 1969? Where are we going to be by the great year 2000? Okay, so... uh by your tone mm-hmm. and based off of uh, uh what, was that sarcasm palpable <laughs> and based off of what what he's uh sort of sussed out with genetics and what's possible with them i'd like to aim uh aim for the realm of what he comes up with is kind of far-fetched or silly or just like nonchalant yeah i, I like to think uh we're gonna miss the mark but we're not off the board oh you know like okay you're like all right i can't get where you're okay, going Frank. like that's not on point but you know that's a three <laughs> yeah I, I love when authors and uh uh directors like do that they they sort of like just suss out like oh this is where we'll be in 50 years and then we are and it's like whoa oh yeah well let's see where he's gonna get to us and i do love i feel like frank is able to write you've heard uh a little bit of that interview and stuff of like frank speaking in his cadence Mm -hmm. he writes in his own voice really well which is something like it's not always easy to do but uh, i'm going to slip into a frank every now and then here as we go through this we only got a few pages but it's going to be delightful so this starts undersea riches for everybody People would think it mighty peculiar if, when the Kentucky Derby starting bell rang, the horses remained at their post, their jockeys chatting about the weather and the foreign situation. But nobody appears to think it strange at all that most Americans are sitting on their hands after the start of the greatest race in history, the scramble for riches under the sea. 
So like already, Mike, 1969. <laughs> do you remember the great race for the riches of the sea? I don't think I do. It did this not for the Titanic. The like what? Yeah. If you've seen a few Western movies and didn't skip too many history classes, you've probably had a mental picture of a homestead rush. Settlers waiting on the prairie for the marshal to fire his 44, horses neighing, buggies creaking, excited talk. Ahead of those settlers was land for the taking. Rich land. Maybe you've said those were the good old days. Land that didn't belong to you. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to gloss over that one, Mike. Uh, Have you heard of white privilege? Yeah, apparently. Well, brace yourself. This is not conventional to the white privilege. (laughs) Well, brace yourself. If you're in one of the U.S. coastal states, go down to the ocean beach, wait for low tide, and walk out to that mark where the waves spend the last of their effort upon the sand. You'll be standing on the starting line for our modern land rush. (laughs) I love it. We have it. Yeah. I love his advice. Go out into the ocean, but not too deep because you will die. No, no, no. You have to go out and then you have to wait for low tide. Then you mark where the waves just touch. That's the starting line. You. It's you, a really elaborate metaphor, you, Mike. You, you say that, but you still have to walk out that far because there usually is a shelf. Oh, I mean, it goes like that's a that's a good trek for me. It's yeah. like into mud. Uh we have an empire to develop, to develop. It dwarfs the total of all homestead areas in our past. It is more important to our future than the Louisiana Purchase was in its day. Our new empire is the continental shelf. That's our target. <laughs> Off U.S. shores, that shelf is equal in size to the combined states of Maine, New York, Delaware, West Virginia, Florida, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Texas, California, and Washington. Almost 750,000 square miles. Oh, Mike, I know. I know exactly where I went. You can't help it. I can tell. I I said Herbert. I meant Kennedy. (laughs) I see that little twinkle in your eye. You know what it was? It was the listing of states. That gets me in like a very political mode. You said Maine, and after that, it was just all Kennedy. (laughs) Yeah, I was so stoked on Maine. I want to say that one in the right accent, but uh, was it's it's New York. (laughs) That's that's the problem. That's that's what did it. Now, beyond the surf, which pounds our coast, are riches that make Pizarro's room of Inca gold appear like a stack of pennies in comparison. The Spaniards and every visitor to our shores since have sailed over more wealth than they found on land. Okay, elaborate, Frank. Sure. Why then have we been so deaf to the starting bell? (laughs) Not yet, Mike. (laughs) Perhaps it's because our hearing has been deadened uh, by too much political oratory. That gusher on the Potomac focused attention on offshore oil and gas, which uh, I think we should start calling Washington that gusher on the Potomac. (laughs) The gusher on the Potomac. It's pretty good. Uh, But petroleum is only a small fraction of the wealth beneath the sea. Just one of the ocean industries, bottom fisheries, for example, far outstrips that fuel potential. Did we have oil rigs during this time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Mike. 1940s on. <laughs> it's like, so there are riches under the sea, and we are harnessing them. They're just the same ones. That- no, no, but he's saying the point is that, like, uh, there's too much political oratory where the gusher of the Potomac is only focused on oil and gas. Right, and that's And fair. he's like, that's to the detriment of what's really out there. Sure. 
Like we need all the other. Min- We're gonna get to the other he, minerals. He's setting me up. He's setting me up for some some big reveal. I want to know what it is. The steel in tomorrow's kitchen knives and family cars will all be made with manganese from submerged lands. All right, you hearing me? Uh, we're already supplying a large part of this metal from the ocean. Black oxide of manganese forms a thick ebony crust over much of the sea bottom. One submarine mountain 20 miles long and 10 times wide in the central Pacific holds 50 million tons of the stuff. 10 times the present annual world production. It said one submarine mountain? And I, I don't know. Submarine mountain. I, yeah, I mean, it does, and then references... I mean, I get what he's talking about. Just yeah. a mountain under the ocean. Is, I assume that's all we kind of, that you would only see in a submarine. Uh, he just references it then in the Central Pacific. Does make me think he's referred to a specific deposit of manganese. True. But, but I've he, never heard the term submarine mountain before. Me, me neither. He's also talking about the shelf. The continental the, shelf. Yeah, but mm-hmm. like, also Central Pacific. That feels like the opposite of that to me. Sorry, I didn't realize I was going to have so many questions. The coffee's no, giving no, me a lot totally of... No, no, totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I <want to> learn! <laughs> so, uh, a continental shelf, Mike, it's just that portion of, like, the literal continent that is submerged under the water. Mm-hmm. So, if you think, like, you know, of areas that are sure. different heights and stuff, so it can go out considerable distance. Uh, I'm looking at the shelf that extends off of, like, can you imagine the turn from, like, North Carolina where the states sort of cut inward and then to Florida? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is from, like, the tip of North Carolina, you can make this big U and cut out, like, a shelf, basically, that goes down to about the middle of Florida. I believe that. That all that sticks out before that that one flies off. So, yeah, I think we we can go pretty far. Uh, Central Pacific might be a stretch, but... Nonetheless, Frank wants to claim that. All right, Frank, what kind of technology can we do this Frank's with? putting a flag. Well, we got to go on with the, this more stuff, Mike. Oh. Because you know that bromine in the fro- photograph you took of that picnic at the last 4th of July? No. <laughs> that, <laughs> Frank does because that was recovered from ocean brine. Some of these might be directed right at Brian. Uh, we got to keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. The iodine you painted on Junior's injured knee? That's got to be Brian. A junior's <laughs> injured knee. <laughs> that came from marine kelp. Most of the world's population still uses sea salt at the table, recovering it today the same way they did in biblical times. Sure. Now, Welsh coal miners, they hear the pounding of the surf on the Irish Sea above their heads. They work in shafts driven under the continental shelf from the shore. Okay. All right. You know, that's even coal out there. And even that, Mike, that we're getting. Sure. Go Irish. Irish ingenuity there. (laughs) But these items are only a fraction of the potential. All the main mineral elements of the world have been discovered in the ocean. Here is a partial list of what we already know is out there beneath the water. Now, if uh, you want to go get a drink or do anything at this time, it's going to be a little while while I go through this list of elements that are very <laughs> okay. generic Oh, team. God. All right. Gold, silver, copper, iron, precious stones, silica, phosphate, vanadium, platinum, sulfur, uranium, and radioactive trace elements. See uranium? Uh... <laughs> Pottery clays, rock salt, building stone, peat, marl, chalk, shell, sponges, lead, sodium sulfate, and sand for everything from windows. Oh, of course you want to make windows, Frank. to go back to sand. To concrete. Now, how important is all this to you? Read what one of the nation's foremost economists told the Senate committee last year. Now, last year, Jesus 
I don't even know what year he he died in sixty nine or no, I'm sorry, eighty nine, right? Right. So it was probably somewhere in the eighties. So like eighty five through eighty nine ish. Like yeah. when did he, when did was this book published? All right. So I'm pretty sure I'm like I just found hearings before the Committee on Interior and Insular Affairs of the United States Senate, the eighty third Congress, first session, and it goes on and on. Now, this one happened between May 16th and June 1st of 1958, I believe. And this has that, it has a specific man I'm going to quote now, Dr. Harold F. Clark, talking about the continental shelf. And I haven't found the exact quote in this document, but I can't imagine he's talking about the continental shelf on a couple set of hearings. So I'm going to assume this is the 1958 one, which actually puts it way earlier than I expected. Uh, I wonder when Frank wrote this. Like this might have been a, one of his newspaper pieces. Oh, maybe because kind of this is a collection of Frank's writing and works and stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. And so this, there's no real date, like the publish of publication. And, and no, of it doesn't, doesn't tell matter. me what the purpose is or okay. where it comes from. So I wonder if this is like kind of an opinion piece gonna, or commenting that's on. That's fair. It. I was gonna say like, why are you talking about this court case? But I get it now. Like this wasn't like published as one like big. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. We're, okay. we're pulling everything gotcha. we got about Frank, gotcha. and I think it was any time he speculated about the future made it fair game to get you know fit yeah, into sure. here to be like. If he's speculating on the future, that's sci-fi. Yeah, sure. Especially for a science fiction author. So, let's go to the Senate committee hearing. We have this Dr. Harold F. Clark says, Any country which refuses to develop its ocean resources is going to fall by the wayside. Those resources are represented by a great range of mineral wealth and by an almost incredible variety of animal and plant life. Within a century, a country which refuses to use these resources will decline to a six-rate nation. Mm. Ooh. All right, that's 58. We're throwing that out there. Okay. That is the opinion of Dr. Harold F. Clark, professor in charge of educational economics at Columbia University. Okay. Yeah, Dr. Clark believes England is in financial trouble today, not because she lacks resources, but because she did not have the imagination to use her resources from the sea. Hmm. Now that one, I think I might have to give you. Uh, like, Interesting. Okay, that's a good case point, right? Mm-hmm. Like we could look at that as a night of like the perfect case study sure, for a country sure. that should be totally um, enveloped in its uh, ocean resources. He told the senators that Australia, which has one of the largest continental shelf areas, will almost certainly be one of the greatest powers in the world. Now that one, that one didn't quite pan out. Okay, yeah, no, definitely not. Australia doesn't really have that reputation just yet. (laughs) If one does not understand why, he said, then one does not understand what has happened in regard to the economic resources of the ocean. Enough oratorical half-truths and misinformations about the continental shelf have been gushed into the American atmosphere, and it's a wonder anyone understands what has just happened in this country. The plain truth is that states' rights and federal rights, both those in quotes, uh, champions have concluded a six-year political civil war. During those six years, development of the U.S. continental shelf remained practically at a standstill. It's time we look beyond the petroleum, political herring, because another fact emerged from this congressional debates. 99% of the wealth in the U.S. continental shelf is still potential. 
and you have just as good a chance at it as the next fellow. Okay, okay. A little call to action there. But, so, like, I mean, he, yeah, you're selling me a little bit. I'm kind of excited. I want to know more about it. But, yeah, like, my, petrol- someone, petroleum is a political herring. As like, someone from the future in Frank Herbert's uh, purview here, like, I got a lot of things that I would counter with on this. Like, I didn't. I didn't but, like, we'll get there. Out. We'll get there. All right. Now, Mike, this sounds like you. Oh. If you're the cautious type, <laughs> perhaps you better buy some stock in one of the blue chip companies moving into submerged lands. Pull up your easy chair and keep an eye on the financial pages of your newspaper. Should have bought land in Silicon Valley. <laughs> no, he's telling you to buy land on the people going in the sea. Uh, he's like, if you don't want to go do it, Mike, just sit back and watch the money fall in as they go out and do it. <laughs> but. If you have pioneering blood, you can join the men who are following in a, a different course. Their ranks are thin. You'll have plenty of room. Like, Frank, why don't you get out there and do it if you're so gung yeah, yeah, about yeah. this? <laughs> this is uh, this is Gurney selling the spice harvesting to that troop. <laughs> it's the future. <laughs> These men are spending time to become familiar with continental shelf geology, a subject not too different from upland geology. <laughs> Do you know what the only difference is, Mike? One's underwater. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the fascinating things about the continental shelf. The stuff it's made of is similar to what it's encountered every day on shore. But there's a difference. It's the difference, you might say, between observing a car in the showroom and seeing it assembled in a factory. Oh. Geology is an action, uh, is in action under the ocean. So you just say, like, it's in motion, but I'm I mean, like, it's in motion everywhere, though. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Here is the birthplace of sediment, which one day will go into the stone front of a building or the dishes on your table. That sediment is being laid down constantly. While Derek reads this, it accumulates. <laughs> he says you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but knowledge of geology won't be all you need. The new type of prospector calls for special equipment. A new kind of prospect, a spice prospect. What do you think you need, Mike? Uh, you're going to need a boat of some sort, obviously. Nope, boat doesn't cut it. What? You need an aqualung, oh. swim fins, crowbar, a good sharp <laughs> knife. You need to go in by yourself. I just want to go for it, man. I got parentheses on the crowbar, Mike. <gasps> okay. Because you, you don't know what the crowbar is for. You're like, what are you doing? Go down sure. the crates? No, no. For prying off geological specimens. <laughs> What's the knife for, Frank? <laughs> These are bare essentials. If you keep your sights on this region, here's a word of advice. Check up on the laws for the locality <laughs> you're coming. By the way, this might not be legal. Just want to point that out, he says. <laughs> Don't open Gary that knife. Put that crowbar in the backpack. <laughs> yeah. Check up on the laws of the locality you're going to cover. Rigid conservation practices are enforced on most of the states. If you use dynamite, there'll be a limit on this. <laughs> In the water. <laughs> there'll be a limit on the size or shot you can set. If you put in pilings, you won't be permitted to abandon them before you, uh, before you cut them off below the mudline. If you erect a navigational hazard, the Coast Guard will step in to enforce its rules. As far as the law is concerned, your construction will be ship at sea, quote-unquote. So, like, okay, at what point, how far does the continental uh, shelf, like, extend? 
I mean, it, it varies based on the landmass. So, like I like, said, like with the North Carolina one sure. going to Florida, it was much larger than like above North Carolina. Sure. Then like, the Australian one, he said, was the largest one of it. So it's, it's going to be based on your locality. Is there a point where international waters extend definitely uh, more inland? Okay. Then further than the continental yeah. shelf. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a point where your continental shelf can be in interna- international sure. waters. I think, uh, actually, let me look it up before I give you. I think it's 10 miles. Oh, I didn't know that. Mike, you got to know where you can do crimes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, 200 nautical miles is oh. international waters. Oh, that's a much higher than 10. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing my crimes way too close to shore, Mike. Oh, no. <laughs> Could have been busted at a moment's notice. Yeah, it's pretty far off. Is there something that does it give you more? Is that the leeway you want? Or you no, think there's plenty of room to mine well, these I resources? I guess how far did the continental shelves extend? And it, I know that's going to vary. That's like a loaded question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so be all there's got to be some points where it's like, it doesn't matter what the law is. Go out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess I see what you're saying. It seems like, yeah, he's definitely taking into concern, like, the assumption we're going to be in U.S. waters sure. if the Coast Guard's going to be involved yeah, here, yeah. right? Now, uh, weather will assume new importance in the Gulf. The November, the June-November hurricane season requires a watchful eye on forecasts and a radio to keep posted on weather changes. Frank, I didn't leave with a radio. You didn't tell me to bring a radio. <laughs> that wasn't I, at the bare minimum. Well, I brought a crowbar and a knife. <laughs> You'll be confronted by a long list of new problems peculiar to the sea that bane, the, that bane of all divers, the bends. Corrosion. How far are we diving? I don't know. I think Frank is really like <laughs> moving the bar when, once we're on ship. Like we've already signed up and he's like, by the way, you might die. I was going like, to say like, if the Benz is a potential like problem here, you need more than a knife and a crowbar when you come back to the surface. You know what I mean? <laughs> so many things. Corrosion and electrolysis that will eat away metal like some malignant ocean creature. Dangerous sea life, limited visibility underwater, and swift submarine currents. So, Frank, were you ever on a oh, submarine? You know what? I wonder. <laughs> Maybe no, I don't think he was. I don't know. No, no, he was in the construction specifically. I don't think he was in, on a submarine in the navy. Okay, they don't just let everyone onto a submarine in the forties. Oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you, Mike. <laughs> Welcome to back in the day when they didn't go, fuck. <laughs> Can you hold your breath? Get on that boat. Well, I guess my point here is just like, hey, why aren't we going to the ocean and like, capitalizing on it? Do you know how dangerous and expensive all of this is, Frank? <laughs> like, I don't think you really realize this. I mean, great. When he's right about it, half of it was potential. And, uh, <laughs> sure. It's good and easy to dream about potential. Um, there was a, a tangential thing that actually attributes very well to this. I was listening to this piece on uh, the Titanic is down in the ocean. And that's actually how Frank mentioned in here that there are uh, things that eat away at metals like a I, creature. I was going to say, isn't it uh, isn't it almost to the point where it's going to be like eviscerated here soon? It's got like a few decades left max yeah. and then it's going to be done. And uh, the people I was listening to were like, we have a method that we could use to preserve it. And it's a matter of like, we can do underwater like epoxy. And like, you could epoxy the whole thing and that preserve it forever. And sure. it's like, yeah, you could, but like getting that amount of epoxy to the, to the Titanic bottom. and then having a team of people do it. And also the point too, that like the Titanic is not stationary. It still moves occasionally. 
No, it would be enough to preserve it. Like, oh, to keep it like in one place. Yeah, you'd you'd be like basically gluing all that metal together. What's left in there, you'd you'd be good. You'd be in a much better place. Like I don't want to say like it would be Im- impervious to all damage or whatever. I'm not talking about damage. Just no, like, no. I understand what you're saying. Okay, of, like sure. earthquakes and anything shifting and no, currents just, pushing yeah, on it. Thank you. No, no. All of the all those variables. I'm just saying it'd be better than where we're at now. Sure, sure. Where you know it's going to be gone for now. Maybe you buy yourself 50 years or whatever. But I agree. The problem though is the hurdles to apply that. I do kind of love the idea of just like this historic like monument we have, where like it moves around. You got to keep an eye on it because you never know where it's going to be. It doesn't go that far. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But like just, compared I, to like when you look at a lot of underwater ships though, and like yes. where they like finally land and sit, they still move quite a bit i think it's amazing of like how is every billionaire not gone down there of like if it's going to be gone you have the means to do it fucking go to the titanic man right 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 uh the company that owns the rights to it they want to go down and actually cut a hole and pull out the marconi machine that's in there because that marconi machine is so significant to history of like Mm -hmm. that's what uh alerted us to the whole problem and everything if they didn't have that wireless communication never would have happened uh but there's this huge concern of like if they cut that it's gonna break uh one of the last like oxygen barriers in there oh no and well the bodies in there might be hermetically preserved at this point because there's been no oxygen exchange since it sunk just the same oxygen Right, well, but that means they haven't rotted. Oh God! They're like they're perfectly preserved. Uh, if you break that, though, it's all going to rush in, and they're worried about that. And I'm sort of ambivalent on either one. On the one hand, I do think it would be amazing because if you could check them, their clothing is going to be intact. Like everything on them is going to be right. fine. It's it's, impo- it's it's fucking gnarly. That, the sad thing is, it's impossible right now to do that because if you do break that seal and like water goes in, it's not just a matter of like oh the oxygen will escape and water will come in. That pressure will literally crush and destroy everything in there. Yeah, yeah, if they cut the hole. Yeah. So, like, it's, like, ideally, it would be so great if, like, explorers could go down. Like, we could do more exploration of sure. it to find out if there are, like, and one, you could put them to rest, bring them to family. You could do so much. But, like, the also just historical preservation that's in there is, is phenomenal. That's uh, crazy, though. Titanic. So cool. But we don't got to worry about that, Mike. We're worried about minerals. <laughs> Tell me, Frank. Yeah. Now, Mike, this new kind of prospecting calls for all the imagination and ingenuity which made our nation the richest in the world, plus the vision to see that the goal is worth the effort. Okay, sure, sure. And like, you know, he's kind of writing this at the end of our moonshot. I was about to say, it's like, we did technically, no, no, like... published in 69, so he would have had to finish it in, like, yeah, 68, right? We did technically send people to the moon with nothing but a calculator on board. Hell yeah. Well, that was the most powerful... <laughs> well, it was a really cool calculator. It was, it was a really cool calculator. But, like, just the idea that, like, you know, like, bare minimum technology, we're able to make it happen. Yeah, you can do it with that. Uh... Now, the burrow made it possible to invade the western uh, desert. You know, burrow being donkey. Sure, yeah. The aqualung is the key to the submerged lands. It's our donkey of the sea. (laughs) It makes you a quote-unquote fish in depths uh, to about 200 feet, unlike the solitary western desert rat. Uh, Is that the burrow? (laughs) (laughs) However... Because it's in quotes, desert rat. Uh, however, you'd be wise to take a partner uh, equipped with uh, another aqualung. Underwater, 
you'll be in a new and sometimes dangerous world, one on which we have very sketchy information. Always take a crime partner. And yet Frank was totally throwing me out there with a crowbar knife and an aquilock. <laughs> it's like, all you need is... But you might also want this. You might also need this. Oh, bring a buddy, too. Don't go alone. There's always a bigger fish, too. It's like, why would you go out into that expanse alone without any visibility? I you're know. going to die. Always. And ultimately, you're going to die because we actually know more about the movement of distant stars than we knew than we do about the movement of ocean currents. Yeah. We know more about the geography of our side, quote unquote, of the moon than we do about the geography of undersea lands. I would even say now we get the dark side of the moon covered better than we do True. undersea lands. I would honestly say, though, that like with uh, like marine biology, like that's like probably the most we know about the ocean at this point. Like the the climate underwater is just so volatile and so difficult to explore. We can't even send probes down there to like gather enough data. Well, I I, I would say yeah, it's it's unfair to compare the moon to it because of the difference in scale. But we had the same problem with the ocean that we do with the moon. When you send a moon, uh, let's say we sent how many probes to Mars? Like we, the two Viking probes to sure, start with in not. the 70s. They both land down. Imagine in the converse, you sent two probes to Earth. You can only set probes in two locations, Mike. Where do you put them? Put two down. Just say in two locations. Doesn't matter what. On Earth, you said? Yeah. We're gonna... probably like opposite sides of the globe. All right. So let's say you land one in China, one in the ocean. Sure. Seem fair? Like, oh, I'm going to hit both these environments? Are you going to get a perception of the rest of the exactly. Earth from those two things? Exactly. Hell no. Part of the difficulty with the ocean bit, especially in Frank's time, I think we still don't consider the layers of the ocean as different biomes as well. Because mm. the two, the multiple layers don't interchange water. The water is usually like if you're at this one depth, you stay at that depth. And there are right. only key locations in the ocean that vertically move water up and down, mm -hmm. which I thought that was phenomenal. So, like, we've always been focusing on the top and the bottom. And it's like, no, every, like, hundred feet you pass through is, like, a completely different biome. It's like the difference between the rainforest and the fucking desert. Right. So cool. So phenomenal. And then you get to the phenomenal losing light at some point in the ocean, like... It goes so far outside the realms of like what is out in space is easy. Sure. Space is one atmosphere, zero. Go. Yeah. <laughs> like the water has everything. It's it's insane. Now, what's it like up there on the continental shelf? Well, we've been curious because we don't even know where the fuck it ends. Let's take a look at Davy Jones Locker. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, you're the, ever the scientist. <laughs> Bring ourselves up to date on the little we do know. Uh, man may have inherited the Earth, but three-fourths of the Earth's area is ocean. Just one of the oceans, the Pacific, is larger than all the dry land regions combined. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I didn't know that. I did know that. That's gnarly. Now, add to the ocean area another dimension, the vertical. <laughs> oh, shit, Frank, you're going to touch on what I just talked about. Yeah. The marine world suddenly shows up with 300 times as much inhabitable space as dry land and freshwater regions together. That's uh, cool you include freshwater. This is the basic reason why oceans are so vital to our future. The floor of the ocean basins, on average of two and one half miles beneath the surface, is actually the dominant level of the Earth. That is kind of cool. Wow. I never, that makes so much sense. Yeah, totally. We live on mountains, Mike. Mm -hmm. Why do we go climb other <clears throat> mountains? We've already done our part. Yeah. <laughs> 
The continents stand about three miles above the floor, with the great volume of the oceans lapping high on their sides. Very cool. This zone where waves and currents cut into the flanks of the land is the continental shelf. The edge is where the gentle slope of the shelf suddenly dives off into the depths at a steep angle. This borderland, this real rim of the continent, uh, is in water an average of 70 fathoms deep. Six feet to the fathom. 400, wow. uh, 420 feet. Ah, <laughs> oh, Frank, I didn't know you. <laughs> you dog, you. Here in the waters beyond the white surf is the strange world where green twilight prevails at high noon. In one region will, uh, will be barren rocks or sand swept by strong currents. Another area will be an ocean garden, an octopus's garden, if you will. Oh, my God. Did he really say no, that? No, that's oh, okay. That's totally me. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't see Frank doing that. He's a big Ringo fan. <laughs> Hair-like colonies of plant cells, pedulant leaf structures, slashed draperies of seaweed, crimson algae filaments, pastures of ocean reeds this is the earth's greatest factory where the mingling of mineral and animal sediment never stops this is the quote-unquote trap for everything the waters sweep from the land and for everything the surface currents give up to the depths and now it's all microplastic yeah <laughs> yeah oh oh frank Ooh. what would he think of the great pacific crat oh, gyre God, yeah all oh, that trash <sighs> I'm glad he didn't know. <laughs> he would have wrote a very different book. <laughs> Leto would not have been all about spice plastic. <laughs> no. It's all in the worm's mouth. You think the worm's <laughs> like a, little... a couple of like sand trout caught in the uh, Coke bottle rings of a bottle. <laughs> the the can bottles. Yeah. Uh, when you go prospecting in this region, you'll have to draw many of your own maps, chart your own underwater canyons and plains. This is the real terra incognita of the Earth. As recent as 1934, writers were telling us of the flat tableland beneath the sea. They were about as accurate as the grandees who sneered at Columbus. <laughs> Damn. Which, Frank, where does that put you, homie? Yeah. <laughs> Erosions and upheavals in the Earth's crust have carved beneath the ocean as dramatically as they have above it. Slashing through the continental shelf are submarine canyons. <laughs> you can't... D oh, well, okay. I'm sorry. I think we're misinterpreting submarine as the vessel. No, no, no. I know what he's talking about. I can't help but read that it's a ship you would see. So Wait, so when we when we were talking about submarine mountains, what were you thinking of? I was thinking a mountain you would see with a submarine. Oh. I can't help but think from the perspective of a submarine you're reading. I totally, okay. I see. Okay, I, okay, I, okay. I didn't mean to rope you into my ignorance. <laughs> you may totally sidestep it. I would appreciate you if you let me feel like I wasn't alone on this car. But yeah, I was, I was totally thinking like, Frank on a submarine. Why wasn't that mentioned in the required necessary tools? Yeah, I've I've never used that as like a, a qualifier like that. That makes total sense. <laughs> I, I'm fine uh, unveiling that here. I'm sure, glad, sure. I want you all to know I I shared I hide nothing from you. <laughs> I'm an open book. <laughs> Submarine canyons. <laughs> Shouldn't there be a hyphen? Steep-sided as the rail cuts, strangely reminiscent of erosion gullies. Their cause is one of the great marine mysteries. See, it could have been submarine mysteries. 
I'm going to be like jaded by this now. <laughs> Perhaps someone reading these words will one day pause in his underwater prospecting to observe a new phenomenon and solve the mystery. Now, the United States underwater empire reaches its widest about 240 miles off the Gulf of Maine. Ooh, Mike. Whoa. Bring this home, Mike. Uh, and it's narrowest, less than 50 yards, off the southern Atlantic edge of Florida, beyond Key oh. West and in the Gulf of Mexico. I thought it would have been further. Further what? The uh, <clears throat> the shelf? Is that what it's talking about? So it's it's 240 miles off the Gulf of Maine, and it's 50 yards off of this point in Florida. Right. I thought it would have been reversed for some reason. Okay. Uh, huh. Yeah. Now, now I'm confused. Huh. Yeah, I mean, Maine is so graggly. I can see, like, I think you just think, wants, like, Maine's coast keeps just sh- shooting down, right? Just I think he just wants off. to industrialize the Maine coast. That's all I'm saying. That's, well, and I think his point to is, uh, I don't think Maine is exactly a boom state, right? Uh, <laughs> we're not leading the way economically, right? Potatoes, blueberries. I believe got? most people look at us and go, oh, that's not Canada's? That, honestly, yeah. <laughs> so, on the West Coast, the shelf of California shifts from lower than a mile out to 40 miles. It becomes progressively narrower and steeper as it reaches the rocky headlands of Oregon and Washington. Okay, so it just like tapers off sure. as we go further up north. Oh, Mike, you might like this. The warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico will be prospector's paradise. <laughs> In this undersea land, roughly equal to the combined areas of New York and Kansas, two very weird states to put together. Yeah, sure. Uh, washings from the lands have been packed uh, to depths of greater than 20,000 feet. The region is known as a geosyncline, a word meaning a hammock-shaped sediment tarp beneath the sea. I don't, I don't, I don't know if we've created that word, Frank. I question that. <laughs> a hammock-shaped sediment tarp beneath the sea. <laughs> uh, I think he's just starting to put it in layman's. Well, this can a line along the center of this quote-unquote hammock. Okay, uh, would describe a great sweeping curve hung at one end from the volume. Uh, oh, volcanic peninsula of Yucatan. Oh, okay. I see the hammock shape that we're making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. yeah, 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 crescent. Sure. I don't know why we go for hammocks. So just north of Yucatan, the bottom drops off into eerie darkness of the Sigsby Deep, some four miles straight down. That's wild. Oil seepage has been bubbling to the surface near the Sigsby Deep for as long as man has sailed these waters. Indian legends tell about blood of the water demon. Surface scum oil blackened the hulls of Spanish galleons. That is really cool. Blood of the water demon. Now, along the entire Gulf of Mexico, the shoreside geological formations dip towards the sea. Offshore, they are bowed downward by the weight of sediment into the bowl of the geosyncline. Further at sea, these formations rise close to the surface. Within 30 years, the experts believe we'll be taking petroleum and other minerals from federal lands at the rim of the continental shelf. Oh, my God. I mean, that one might have come true at this point, to be honest. I haven't checked, but, like, offshore drilling in California, that's been an issue for the past, like, 20 years of, like, people making a big... Even in Santa Barbara, you could see oil rigs, actually, uh, off on the beach. Really? Yep. 
that's really cool. There were actually, so there's an array of them, Mike. Mm-hmm. If you go all the way down on, so if you go down State Street, you get down to the beach. You have West sure. Beach and East Beach. You go down East Beach. You walk all the way away. Eventually, you're going to hit cliffs. Keep walking along the cliffs. That brings you to Butterfly Beach. From Butterfly Beach, looking out at those oil rigs, Mike, they line up and they look like Santa's sleigh. <gasps> it's like an array of dots. And then the dock of uh, Santa Barbara is right there, which is one continuous line. Oh. And then dot, 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 dot. It's like the sleigh and his reindeer going off. <laughs> it's a really beautiful sight on a foggy night. I digress. But you'll see none of the stick-like drilling derricks, which now dot the southern coast. Oh, that's what I was just talking about, Frank. (laughs) The entire operation, search and drilling, will be carried out underwater. Okay, Frank. At least four submersible drilling barges are already in the race for the undersea wealth. Steel behemoths of almost 3,700 tons, which burrow at least half their features from submarines. Okay. No, that's not. <laughs> no, I think you meant it. Yeah, I think no. you meant it. I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> the barges are designed to go uh, to go on the ocean surface to a drilling site, then sink to the bottom for the actual work. That's super gnarly. We definitely huh. don't do that. No. But, like, that would be really cool. Like, the whole oil rig is a submarine. It's Ocean Lab 2020 every time. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, Mike, with a little imagination, we can project these barges into tomorrow. See what they logically must become. Oh, God. What do you think they're going to become? You know, I just saw that movie Underwater, and this is exactly what he's postulating here. Let's peel back a small corner from the curtain, which hides the future. Oh, Frank. Focus your attention on a young man. Age somewhere between 25 and 35. This could be either of us. Oh, no. He could be the son you send off to class each weekend morning uh, of the school year. We'll call him a project chief. Is this what he mentioned for Brian? Maybe. And Brian became an author. He rides a lurching bucket seat in a monster of metal, quartz, and plastic. With him are perhaps ten crewmen? All ten Fremen are going with him? (laughs) They sit amid a maze of control bars and dials. The chief's glance, this is your son, remember, Mike, Mm -hmm. goes to a quartz porthole through which he can see the shimmering world of sea life brought into vivid outline by searchlights. (laughs) In the cold green twilight of 90 fathoms, the project chief is monarch. Hey, your son's moving up in the world. There's a reason submarines don't have windows. (laughs) Just want to point that out here real quick. And if I was on a submarine, like, okay, I've joined this crew, Mike. I'm going to go on an oil rig under the sea. If my project manager turns monarch when we're just 90 fathoms down, we haven't hit the bottom yet. And he's like, by the way, guys, I'm king of this ship. <laughs> Excuse me? Um, king of 10. <laughs> come again? Uh, pilot of a machine name, let's say, after the Scorpion's deep sea relative. Oh, Mike, what do we name the ship? Uh, the Leviathan? The King Crab. King Crab. I guess it's a scorpion deep sea relative. The machine tips to the right, grinds downward onto an ocean canyon. Canyon, I'm sorry. In the King King Crab's control room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't a gimmick. He really wants to live in this idea. Your son in this control room, he's declared himself monarch to the other 10 people. Sure, in the, sure. Might be nine people. He could be one of the <laughs> yeah, 10. Sure. Uh, control room is the sound of pumps, humming electric motors, 
voices reading instrument data, squeaks and thumps, and muted grumbling of metal treads. Two wavy blue lines emerge on the screen in front of the project chief. He turns to his men. The map says this is it. Drop a bore. <laughs> so climactic. Uh, anchor columns sink into the mud. Diamond cores go into the bottom muck and are lifted for examination. The humming engines quicken. Giant scoops open. Hydraulic cutters tear at the seafloor, send it coursing in a muddy flow across placer tables in the quote-unquote factory compartment. It sounds like he just wants to put a spice harvester on the bottom of the ocean. That is exactly what just yeah, happened in yeah. 1958. Okay, cool. The tables begin to shake and quiver as the mud is flushed off them and returned to the sea. Soon, the catch riffles gleam with yellow. The chief bends forward, retrieves a nugget, scrapes black manganese from part of it. <laughs> I don't need this gold. No. This is what I'm here for. Survey! Hit it on the nose, he says. This is the richest dirt I've ever seen. That river must have been piling the stuff on here for a million years. Man, I'm thinking about that bonus, says a crewman. <laughs> I think Frank is getting delirious by I the end of this. <laughs> Those words of the future fit the picture today. There's a bonus waiting for us under the sea. Long after the oil and gas are exhausted, we'll be feeding ourselves, clothing ourselves, and building our homes with the products from this new frontier. The vision of this furious rush of human activity that's sure to intrude into our coastal waters tempts one to make a comparison. Around 330 BC, Alexander the Great, Mike, wow. again, never fell. Rome never fell. Remember, we got Alexander. No, no, we're back to no, it. I'm back no, to the beginning no, here. <laughs> Around 330 BC, Alexander the Great was lowered to the bottom of the Mediterranean in a glass barrel. When his men hauled him back aboard their war galley, Alexander described the undersea world, a place of, what do you think he said, Mike? What did he say? Rude fishes and strange wonders <laughs> which defied the imagination. I do not believe for a moment that what this is What did the true. fish do to him? <laughs> Rude fishes. He does, he does not talk about that fish. <laughs> and strange wonders. Somebody did something that Alexander did not appreciate. What might Alexander say if he could slip into the aqualung and swim beneath the waters of the U.S. coast uh, a few summers from now? Perhaps he would say that the rude fishes had better move over. Their cousin man is coming back to claim his own. I got like two things to say here. One, did that actually happen? Did they like, is that just a legend that like they tossed Alexander into the, to the ocean with a glass box to explore? I don't think that's real. Okay, give me your second one while I dig into the first oh, one. Oh, it's just more of an idea of just like uh, Frank showing his Leto. Like, Brian, have I told you what we can do with the ocean dirt? <laughs> That definitely comes through. I feel like I now know where yeah. that came yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is that conversation. Yeah. That is all that was. Um, now, let's see if Alexander ever went underwater. All right. So, Mike, I did a little research. I've held back on you a little bit. I didn't want to show you what I was uncovering here. But it came across a manuscript. It's a medieval manuscript. It's got, like, the classic old, English, you know, really embellished letters sure, that start yeah. on each paragraph. And the bottom is a beautiful drawing of, like, it's, like, two guys very close in a boat. It looks like they're kind of kissing. I'm just going to put that out there. And then the 
a glass sphere like down below underneath the water like oh that's alexander down there uh and we get this little bit this is on getty.edu because that was a uh, the getty is for the art collection that they sure. has him beneath the sur- surface of an ocean teeming with fish king alexander the great sits in a bathysphere a type of diving contraption uh glowering as he raises his eyes to the couple above him Sitting in the boat, Alexander's mistress and her new suitor make eyes at each other and hold hands. Oh, oh man, I did say those people looked like they were going at it. Okay, it's the oh. mistress. Of the- All right, that's something happening here. Okay, okay. That is intentional. The story of Alexander's underwater adventure was invented and greatly elaborated upon during the course of the Middle Ages, especially in the German vernacular literature. Alexander, who was a student of the great uh, student rather of the great philosopher Aristotle, was curious to explore the ocean. He had himself lowered into the water in a glass diving bell, taking with him three creatures, a dog, a cat, and a cock. Alexander entrusted his most loyal mistress with looking after the chain that pulled uh, the bell to the surface. She was persuaded by her lover to elope, however, and she cast the chain into the sea. With the chain um, uselessly coiled around the ocean floor, Alexander was left to devise his own escape. Okay. That's that's describing the picture. Okay, sure. But basically saying, like, yeah, the myth itself is basically a medieval legend that we expanded upon and ran with. I love that. It's like a great little anecdote. And for Frank to pull it all back, just be like, out of your way, fishes. A new emperor is back in town. <laughs> just like the cutting edge of, like, the Vinci tech. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, exactly. And that brings me to the end of my article in uh, The Maker of Dune, Insights of a Master of Science Fiction, edited by Tim O'Reilly. Now, obviously by our boy, Frank Herbert. Now, I usually conclude these by saying, like, oh, that was wild. Because it usually is. But, like, that was wild. <laughs> that was a little, little much for me, maybe. Uh, like, I get I, I get what he's talking about. But, like, there's so many things that he's not considering. Okay, but, like, put it in that context of 58 or 59, if you said mm-hmm. last year. I think appreciating it in that sense, I don't think anything in there is wild at all. I think in our stance, definitely, we get to look back at it. Like, well, like, in retrospect. Yeah. 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 And that's that's where you want it. But, like, oh, just give me the credence of, like, in his time, how would you accept that or read that? If you um, had a paper in 1950, you were sitting down, or 1960. I mean, like, it'd be one of those things where, like, because we went to the mood, I think this credibility is, like, well, it's possible. I Anything's think, possible. Well, I think I've had the same exact thought, though, of, like, people telling me of, like, um, isn't it, like... I. I, w- I might get the element wrong, but on the moon, like you can get helium three very easily. Uh, there's an element like that. Like if we go there and sure. harvest it, I'm like, yeah, if we could go there and harvest it, that would be easy. It's not easy to go there and harvest the, the it. The most though. expensive thing with like getting into space though, is, is that just that the rockets getting into space? That is the most expensive part. Yeah. With going underwater, a part of it is structural integrity. Cause like with space, there, I mean, there is a finite vacuum. Like, it doesn't go below vacuum, pressure-wise. Yeah, the pressure is always less than an atmosphere. But, like, going deeper, that pressure is going to get harder and harder. Mm -hmm. Like, the technology, the costs. I think that's that's the probably the biggest thing we didn't touch on in the beginning, too, of, like, it's so much harder to make the machine to go to the bottom of the ocean than it is to send one to the infinite of space. Right. Yeah. You can go as far as you want in space. Going down sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And then going back up, everyone's got to, like, chill out in a chamber. Let your pressure gradually adjust. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you will just die. Yep. Uh, there's there's a lot of bad variables to that. Um, plus, 
I mean, what would that impact be on the environment even more than our current oil rigs are? If suddenly we just expand all of our industry out, like up to what in Maine, 240 miles, <laughs> 40 miles on the West coast. Yeah. I, I bet like, uh, I imagine fishing would be fucked. Sure. You'd be yeah. churning up so much uh, sediment and stuff like that. That could be the biggest thing I would see the impact on. And like, I mean, he was only talking about uh, geological. He was focused on minerals. Yeah, he was focused Mineral extraction. on minerals. Yeah. But like a lot of countries do like uh, have a lot of economical exports and boons from the ocean. Specifically, uh, like Japan, they've had to sort of rein in their bluefin tuna fishing because their bluefin tuna is getting to an endangered level here. No, uh, but like. So that, that is the resource I don't think you should focus on where like that resource is only available in the ocean. What he was kind of pointing out is that all the resources we oh, get on like, land why are, are okay, in the ocean. Fair, gotcha. Yeah. So like all these coastal cities can be doing everything that every inland city has been known for. And maybe, I mean, I wonder if taking the ecological perspective in mind, if he's just more like looking like we could save our pristine land environments and not like considering the alternative, like, cause we are on trash. Leaves, now we're going to destroy like, these ones because we could get it out of here. I yeah, no, I and just, maybe like optimistically thinking we could do it without making the waste. It's just one of those things where he even touches on like the detriment there. It's just like, hey, there's so many different biomes within the ocean. Like, yeah, every level, I was really surprised like, about that. Yeah, yeah, it's like everything is so like individualized and localized. If you do that onto the shelf, you're literally destroying an entire ecosystem. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I don't, I don't get how you get away from like harvesting these resources without destroying the ecosystem. I think the the, the Lado was outweighing the kinds there. Kind That's of. all I'm saying. Yeah, and I guess I'm going to land on like, Lado wasn't wrong. You can make spice plastic. <laughs> That's true. Can do it. Can do it. Can do it. I love the deep dive. That Thank was you. great. That was a lot to talk about. I was, was really happy one. about that. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm uh, sorry. It took, it took a while, but it's like, good. we're going to do these every now and then. I'm sure uh, we might even get some comments on that. I, I hope we do. I'd Always. like to learn more about that. Honestly. Always. Always. What we got wrong for sure. But enough time about that. It's time for everyone's Solid favorite Solid spelling bee? What? <laughs> Look, last year's competition was cut short when the judge of the bee tried to correct Bashar Bahathasar. Needless to say, we all accept that rock is spelled R-O-K now. Done with it. <laughs> what? Sardaukar Spelling Bee. Sardaukar Spelling Bee. That's not the game? No. Oh. That sounds horrifying. Okay. I, I gotta tell you at least, like, Mike, do you know why we use the word Spelling Bee? Why is that? This blew my fucking mind. I was like, that can't, that's a weird one. Why did we get to that? The entomology of Spelling Bee? It was originally... Entomology. The, <sighs> entomology is a study of insects. Hey, that's your job, bud. Uh, <laughs> one day, we're, we're doing insects next season. Fuck it. <laughs> yes. Etymology and etymology. Etymology, E-T-Y, is like study of words. and What's the what's the bug one? E-N-T, entomology. Entom, oh, okay, okay. I think that might just be like a, um, what's a, uh, oh man, when you can't speak clearly. Speech impediment on my part. Maybe, or it could know. just be one of the things like you've heard he in a certain up. way, like yeah, yeah, yeah. espresso, espresso. Yeah, oh, I yeah, hate that. I that hate one drives me crazy. I, so I appreciate that it just drives you crazy. So the B, though is an alteration of an old word that meant voluntary help given by neighbors toward accomplishing a particular task. Hmm. And it descends from the Middle English word, bene. What? What? Whoa. I was joking. That's from Merriam-Webster, man. I'm taking that one from the top. That's pretty good. Yeah, and it's like, and it kind of also like went into like a prayer and such, but like the voluntary helping given by a neighbor, that's bene Jesuit. Okay, okay. Let us help you out, friend. 
It's, we're here to serve. Sure, sure. Hey, take a gola on us. Now, Mike, spelling bees. Before we landed on that, what else did we call them? Name me one. Um, I got six for you. What would you call a spelling bee if you couldn't say spelling bee? Word duel. Uh, oh, Mike. <laughs> You're right. In, okay. I got six. Though. Trials in spelling. That sucks. Spelling school. Sucks. Spelling match. All right. Okay. All right. Spelling fight. Spelling okay. fight. Okay. Spelling combat. I like it. My favorite one. Spell down. Spell down. <laughs> that should have been it. The showdown uh, spell down. Spell down. Yeah. Hell yeah. I like it. See you at the court for a spell down. <laughs> That's really good. Don't, normally, I, I groan at your games, but like I love throwing something new. That was good. That one was tangential. Props to you. Props Sardaukar to you. Sardaukar spelling me. But enough time for Sardaukar. Fucking throw it out the window. It's time for Edric's etymology on automatology. Guys, I tried to buy this as much time as I could. <laughs> Each week, I pick a name from the universe to dive into its meaning and origins. Derek. I'm going to give you the meaning of the name and see if you can guess who it is. All right. All right. Bring it at me. All right. So this is going to be, uh, I'm, I'm curious to see if you get this one. I got three possible meanings here because the exact origins are unclear. Okay. And the reason being is that it's sort of a Greek Lycian origin. Uh, ooh, okay. I don't, I have no idea what Lycian is. Uh, it's a, it's a province uh, in Turkey. Oh, all right. All right. Um, so the meanings being modesty. The hidden one, or wife, or wife, wife. Ooh, okay, okay. So for leaning towards the turkey, it's gonna get me to like Arabic a little bit. I mean, sure, just sure. over the threshold. Though it took a while before that city fell. Um, so maybe I should lean towards like the Latin. I know only again, only really Spanish to go on. Esposa is wife. So like maybe like an e name. I want to. Check that. Is there any E names that we've come across? Edric. Oh, that'd be, <laughs> no, no. I know where Edric comes from. Edric should come from the German for Theodoric because that's where Derek comes from. Uh, <laughs> so if we ever hit that one, I hope I'll get it right for that. Um, uh, like, probably not one of the actual. Uh, it couldn't be Tharthar. You wouldn't be bold ever, ever. <laughs> you don't think so? No. Uh, what were the other things that it meant? Um, the hidden Sorry. one and the modesty. Hid- okay, the hidden one and modesty to obscure, maybe like an O. Oh, wait, did we do Otham yet? We haven't. I think I've guessed Otham before. You've guessed least. Otham at least twice, I think. Oh, damn it. Maybe I shouldn't bang on him too much, but I want to go <laughs> Otham. I don't know. I'm thinking, I just, I can only link on to sometimes the beginning letter for it. So I'm thinking sure. like obscure, obscuro, and like. Maybe Otham. I don't really I, think I it's like, right, though. I, I like the direction you take it in. I, I try. But I, I'm at a complete loss. Tell me, who who is this wife? All right. So it's a bit of a misnomer because we're just talking about the word meaning wife. But yeah, it yeah. doesn't mean it's a female character in our ne- book. Never. It so, could be a man who's a fitikin. We talked about it a little bit. Leto. Ooh, okay. Yeah. The, I want to know them all. Yeah. The yeah. goddess Leto. And it, I did look into this because we've always pronounced it as Leto. Sometimes Leto early on. Sometimes. Whoa, mean, whoa. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't think anyone said Leon. No, no, I listened back to our early episodes. We like, we go no, back and Leto, forth. Leto, Leto. You said Leon. Early on. Like early on in our podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just misheard what <laughs> Leon. Leon. No, 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 not well, at like, all. Like, you know, like the province Leon? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just like, like what the hell are you gone about? Like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. End of the show, Mike. This is where I get off the rails and you got to keep us <laughs> it's, on. It's all good. It's all good. So we talked about like Lido Lido and like not really trying to pronounce it. It's like, hey, however you want to is fine. Not in Greece. <laughs> <laughs> in the traditional Greek, yes. it's pronounced Lito. 
Okay. It's uh, the yeah. goddess Leto. And based off of what we sort of learned about Leto. Oh, I really like Leto better. I like Leto too. I'm going to stick to Leto. Sure, That's sure. Fine. But Leto. Yeah, Leto. Leto was one of the Titanides, which means female Titans. I don't know why you have to differentiate them that way. But she was a bride of Zeus and the mother of the twin gods, Apollo and Artemis. Perfect. Yeah, and that's where we talked about. Like, yeah. that's probably where Paul and Aaliyah sort of come from there. Uh, she was the goddess of motherhood and, with her children, a protectress of the young. Okay. That's uh, really weird that he chose that one to ascribe to, like, the, the masculine head of the family. Yeah, because, like, I totally get, like, Jessica vibes there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, her name and iconography suggests she was also a goddess of modesty and womanly demure. Like her sister, Asteria, she may also have been a goddess of the night, or alternatively, the light of day. Sort of in, like, a uh, juxtaposed position. Of sure, that. okay, okay. Now, when Leto was pregnant with the twins, she was pursued relentlessly by the goddess Hera. I wonder why. Hera! Those are my children! <laughs> oh, maybe. I mean, you know Zeus. He got up to no good. Hera... Instead of blaming Zeus, she always just punished the women that he, like, slept with. Usually not, to like, by their own agreement. I would just say, Hera stands by her man. <laughs> yeah. Even our Hera! Paul killed Jameis! She's like, you're my husband now. <laughs> he was a stupid man. Every now and then he did stupid things. I don't know if that... Maybe I'll have to do a horror deep dive at some point. Who knows? Yeah. But Hera drove her from land to land, preventing her from finding a place to rest and actually give birth. The floating island of Delos eventually provided her with refuge. Later, when she was traveling to Delphi, the giant Tatius. Oh, uh, Tatius? So would that be another female Titan? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, or uh, a giant named. It's a giant named gotcha, Tatius. Gotcha. I'm so sorry. I thought it was a diminutive of Titan. <laughs> no. Uh, attempted to abduct her, but Apollo intervened and slew him with his arrows. And eventually, his soul went into. The uh, giant soul? Yeah, the giant soul. His soul went into the realm of Tartarus where he was eternally punished infinitely. Oh. This is the individual who was splayed out, uh, his liver eaten by vultures every day and regenerated every day. Okay, I know um, that trope. Yeah. Um, there was a really cool fantasy series uh, that I read as a kid, the only one, the Dragonlance, and like the whole story arc is this guy ultimately overthrows the evil god so he can be take her place. Mm-hmm. But she wins, and so he's stuck in hell from that point on, and every day he's uh, resurrected so that he can just die again, being eaten by, like, the crows of the land. That, and then she, she comes by and revives him in the morning just so he can start again. Uh-huh. Uh, and ultimately, I think it's, like, his nephew comes to visit him. It's, I mean, this is the same uh, place where you get punishments for Prometheus. Perfect. For, after stealing fire. And same with uh, Tantalus, which we talked about in the Atreides background. When, uh, Tantalus... Uh, being part of the Atreides, uh, I think he was the one who started the curse, so to speak. Oh, okay. He was, like, in a pool of water and under an apple tree. And, like, whenever he reached up, the apple pulled away. Whenever he bent down, the water receded. So he was always currently hungry and thirsty. Oh, that poor guy. So, yeah. Tartarus, bad place to be. Yeah, but it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. Is that where Atlas is, too? Pushing I, his thing infinitely up the <clears> hill? <throat> is that Atlas? That's not Atlas who does that. I won't push the person. You're right. That is totally. No, no. He is just the one of the world on his shoulder. Yeah. 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 There's some dude who's got to push a boulder up a hill, though. Yeah. 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 I, uh, yeah. I'm conflating giant rocks with people. Moving on. We're talking about Leto here. Mm-hmm. In Greek vase paintings, Leto was usually depicted as a woman lifting her veil in a gesture of modesty. She was usually depicted accompanied by her two children. And the exact meaning of her name is somewhat obscure. And I got a couple things here to go by. 
Okay. Uh, first off, some commentators would connect it with the word letho, to, uh, move unseen or suggestive of modesty. And that was with an A-L in it? Um, letho? Yeah. Uh, L-E-T-H-O. Okay. Okay. Letho. Yeah. Um, older sources speculated that the name is related to the Greek lethe, or oblivion, and lotus, meaning the fruit that brings oblivion to those who eat it. So at the end of that speculation, it would mean the hidden one. Not quite sure why. Just like oblivion being like unseen, maybe? Yeah, I, I guess, and there were sort of two things of it being kind of hidden, but I, I sort of like the double catch with that other one. Yeah, why, I kind of like that too. Of like being really reminiscent of this Tartarus. Mm-hmm. In the twentieth century, sources Leto. Uh, in twentieth century sources, Leto. Leto. Uh, yeah, I, I think you could like, say it, Mike. Uh, we can make allowance for it. You're in, you're in a safe place. <laughs> in a safe place. Leto is traditionally derived from Lycian Lada, meaning wife, as her earliest cult was centered in Lycia. Lycian Lada may also be the origin of the Greek name Leda. So. Who knows? Oh, okay. Lita. So it is like a com- it, or not common, but it's at least a female Greek name as of yeah. now. I said I said Leda, but I think it would be Leda. Like if it's gonna if we're gonna associate with Leto, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, I, it's I hard don't... for me to break from Dune and the one yeah, you want to correct. Yeah, like, it really no, does. No, that would be Leda. <laughs> yeah, some, Lita. And uh, some scholars have actually suggested that it might even have a pre-Greek origin that is not recorded. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess it that must that must be Which, like uh yeah the thing you always have to like take into account and would make your work so hard. Really? I'm just would. like or it could just not. Like, God <laughs> damn it. Just not. <laughs> Who knows? And as for uh since you mentioned Rome, I'll, I'll throw you a Roman bone here. Oh, uh, please do. I don't I need one. <laughs> the Roman name for this guy was Latona. I'll take it. Take yeah. it. Take it to the bank. Cash <laughs> there it. you go. And that's all I have on Leto. That Oh, what a really great one. It's pretty good. It's all over. I like always, anytime you get back to that Artemis and uh, Apollo kind of birth, I didn't think we'd go back. And then to bring Hara into the mix, too, is like this whole collection is so tightly grouped in Greek history. Honestly, the Apollo Apollo Artemis like uh, thing for us, that blew my mind. Yeah. Like I never would have connected those dots in a million years. So I want to look into that further down the road for sure. But Derek, that's all I got today. That's all you got. Mike. I think that kind of does it for the week. Do we have any distrans? I I got nothing that I have on we'll my rock behind you. <gasps> Except for no lingering yeah. or leering that, over. That's it. not your shadow. I'm just gonna move aside and let him <laughs> walk past. <laughs> Come on, over, Bruno. <laughs> I think what's your seat? Fucking bye. <laughs> Coming in on Patreon, we just have like a little uh, little forward here from uh, one of our good friends, Paul from Montreal. Can, can I sit back down? I'll, I'll just be over here. <laughs> Hi, Paul. <laughs> as as I told you last week, uh, uh, Bruno, can you let him sit? <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Mike, hurry. <laughs> hurry. <laughs> so as I told you last week, I had kind of a horrible time editing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, you had... We haven't had one... You, I think it's been since, like, episode six, hasn't it? Yeah. We've had a good run. I think what happened was it was a... A transfer issue between the wave file and the roadcaster over to my computer mm-hmm. and uh i have a separate track that i use to uh put in slate sounds for like oh we made a mistake i'll hit the slate and like we know where to like go and edit oh it makes i'm, my, I'm familiar it makes my job i'm just giving a little behind the scenes it makes my job easier so i can hone in those quickly and get the big mistakes out of the way before i do a clean lesson mm-hmm. but i didn't have that 
it was like the track was not the same size. I couldn't match up any of the slates to like mistakes I knew. So I just had to go through everything individually. And when you do that by itself, it takes a lot longer. It's every second you gotta go through. I had pieces of the main thing that were like chopped up and like backwards. Like, I don't know what happened, but it was horrible. I got the episode done and thankfully the next one <laughs> you, was super easy and I was like super it. chill. But uh, I let everyone know on Patreon. It's like, sorry guys, no early episode this week. I don't even think I'm going to get it out by Thursday, to be honest. Mm. Uh, but Paul went ahead and let us know, dudes, no worries. Whole Sea Edge can tell how hard we're working. And they just they say, feel free to give yourselves a break. So Speaks posted Paul from Montreal. It's like, thank you, Paul. We really appreciate uh, that. That's really awesome. And specifically for you, Derek. Big PS or uh, PS, big improvement in your French words and wine names recently. <gasps> well done. I mean, I think there's only been one. But, uh, well, no, every time we have a, a French sounding bottle of wine, I usually slide it over in your direction and be like, take, take it. You let me take the fall for that? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that's why I always drink a glass before we start, Mike. There you uh, go. Had to get that confidence up. Yeah. Uh, I think that I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Oh. That's it, Bruno. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Bruno. Thank you very much, Bruno. <laughs> I appreciate you, Bruno. Um, does anyone have a question for us? Do you guys perhaps know a wine that we could afford? We're at Spice World Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And you can always send a diss trans via Bruno at SpiceWorldPod at gmail.com. And of course, there's a website at SpiceWorldPod.com. And if you're looking for a way to support the show, come join us over at a little CH on Patreon.com slash SpiceWorldPod, where you can find some of our exclusive Between Two Dunes episodes. Oh, yes. Like the Karina women. Yeah. Yeah, Ladies of House Carino. I went ahead and put Ampliris on there for free, so anyone can go ahead and oh, check that out if you're a non-member. So good. I'm excited for those ones. Yeah, they're just pretty. To like, just to re-release them is a great time for me to replay them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really are fun. Um, but Derek. Yeah. You know what I want. Uh, Mike, of course I know what you want. So, I mean, I told you we're, we're past the turn. Yeah. We're going to the good part now. Are we halfway through the book now? Uh, ish. Uh, we're close enough. Of, okay. Like we're going over the hump. I think it's like twenty. It's an odd number. So okay, twelve will be like just past half. But where do, where do you think we're going next chapter? Who do you want to see? Oh man, who, who are you missing the most? Honestly, I need to I need to check in on Irulan. I want to know Ooh. where she's sitting in the plan. Okay, okay. I think I can get you uh, Bene Gesserit adjacent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know how this works now. Slytale lifted his veil. <laughs> <laughs> I know your games. I mean, it's so good. Duncan coughed. No, let me go. Paul nodded to her, silent, measuring. Immediately, she decided to take the offensive, said, So, the great Paul Atreides designs to see the one he banished. Paul smiled wryly, thinking, She knows I want something from her. That knowledge had been inevitable. She being who she is. He recognized her powers. The Bene Gesserit didn't become Reverend Mothers by chance. Ah! Okay. I knew I gave her shit earlier, but I'm so excited to see Are this. Are you glad to back? <laughs> Gam Gam's here. She's fucking on the offensive line. Oh, I love it. I love looking at her. It's just, she goes and it's like, I'm going to go on the offensive right away. Boom. Well, think of like, they have millennia of knowledge, like, they're armed to a T. Oh, you think that's what uh, 
was the catalyst that reaction? Maybe. It's not. Oh. We'll, we'll see exactly okay. what shapes her all the way to that uh, standing before Paul. All right. And we're going to be inside her head. It's a really great moment. I really like her for it. And for her just being like, oh. I gotta go. I gotta go all out right here. I love I'm it. gonna do it. Paul, why do you need me? <laughs> like, yeah, get him, guys. Get him. But until then, Mike, the, the spice, spice must flow. That is. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to post it now? <laughs> yes. I am having a time. I got so many office supplies. I just got an email from Amazon last night that said, Dellingwood, you use a shop for office shit. Would you like a business account? I was <laughs> like, like, no. I, was like, I was just looking for pens. Thank you. <laughs> That's too good. It's like, what threshold did I cross that it literally <laughs> offered me a business? It's like, you probably need to sign up for this, man. Save yourself a penny. <laughs>